You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, welcome to the Oz Network, as we're now entering week two of our anniversary month, which we understand it didn't start at the beginning of the month, but we got to time this for future episodes. It is episode two, following Titanic, our longest episode ever, and we promise we will keep this short. And also, unlike Titanic, we promise we'll make this one entertaining. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And how can you not? Because we're here to talk about, of all the movies we're covering, probably what people are scratching their heads on most, saying, this is an anniversary movie, does this need to be covered? Yes, it does, because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. We're talking about White Men Can't Jump, the 25th anniversary of this. Who would have thought, 25 years later, somebody would be talking about (laughs) White Man Can't Jump, but we're here to do it. Uh, My name is Colin, and I'm going to put my mouth where this money is. (laughs) (laughs) I have an image now. Um, (laughs) Damn it. Sorry, hang on, let me compose myself. My name is Ben, and ah, oh, man, shut your anorexic malnutrition tapeworm living overdose on a Dick Gregory bohemian diet, drinking ass up, and leave me alone. <laughs> Did he write that out by hand while he was quoting it? <laughs> I may have had a bit of help by IMDb quotes, but other than that, <laughs> I wrote some of it out. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... This is, we mentioned at the end of the Titanic episode, but this is the most excited I've ever been to podcast about anything. (laughs) And uh, I mentioned also in the Titanic one that no matter what we're covering, even if it's like one of our favorite movies or favorite TV shows, there's always a little bit of, oh, I got to take notes on this. (laughs) I have to make sure I know, you know, what we're going to talk about, how we're going to break these sections up. How are we going to keep this under two hours? How are we going to keep this under five hours? What are you going to do when Ben blows it and we go five and a half? (laughs) But there was like no uh, nerves at all with this one. There was no stress. It's just I was so excited to talk about this because this was like my childhood favorite movie. And again, I was watching it today and it, it just it always strikes me how weird it is that at the age of 10 or 11 or however old I was when this came out that this was my favorite movie that you know my it was basically like star wars back to the future white man can't jump comparisons are obvious yeah (laughs) they all have a white man in them uh and they all can't jump yeah exactly none of them would jump actually can i just point out just to interrupt you there there is actually a huge back to the future white man can't jump uh connection which i noticed in this movie which is a weird one but anyway i'll I'll point that out soon Uh, was it Woody Harrelson's hat? Damn it, you already stole it from yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> that and is I never the same up- hat. That is Marty McFly's hat from the future. Come on. Yeah, Marty McFly Jr., yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, one of the things I'm most excited about to talk about this is just to find out, like, is this just me? Because I know that this movie is still well-loved. It's not one of these movies that, you know, is still on TV all the time. It's not as popular as it was in 1992. Uh, but it has a good following, and... Uh, one of the most interesting things about this is why are we covering this for 25th anniversary? It's partly because in 1992, this was a big deal. And I think in some ways this movie still is a big deal, but I've never been able to uh, really get anybody else's impression who hadn't seen this movie before. The closest I got was my wife who watched this with me a few years ago. And then when I was watching it today, she, yeah, (laughs) she was insistent. I've never seen this movie. I've never seen it. I've shown you this movie. And there's a funny part in the movie where all of a sudden she clicks in, oh, yeah, I've seen this. And it's not the scene you'd expect that would, you know, jog her memory. But you have to tell me I've been waiting for 
a whole week now since we finished Titanic. Uh, what do you think of White Man Can't Jump now that you've finally seen it 25 years later? Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm just looking here at the, some of the films that also were released in 1992. We could have uh, looked at Wayne's World. We could have looked at Sister Act, uh, Aladdin, The Bodyguard, <laughs> Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. No! White uh, Man Can't Jump! Um... Yeah, I'm teasing. Look, I didn't hate this film. <laughs> you're, you're there going, oh my God, he hated it. What am I doing? What have I done? Nobody likes this movie. Um, it, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it because I think kind of I I was really enjoying this film up until a certain point and then I'm like, oh, okay, that's what happens. Um, but yeah, like I, 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 for the most part, I enjoyed this movie. Uh, I mean, kind of, I'd never seen it before, obviously. I mean, I'd heard of it. I think I said to you just off air, I remembered I knew the song from this movie quite well when I heard it again. Um, and I vaguely remember uh, early 90s, um, I think it was maybe when it was first on TV, the way they advertised it. So, like, I, I, I knew this movie existed. Um, I guess I just, I had never gotten around to watching it. I mentioned at the end of our Titanic episode, you know, 13 hours later, uh, that I had a random love for an early 90s movie, Eddie. Um, and then I, I discovered, actually, it was a weird sort of connection how I dis- I remembered this movie, because it's always this movie that I absolutely love, but I always forget it exists. I think it's even less uh, memorable than this in terms of people forgetting about it. Um, that's the air up there, the Kevin Bacon basketball oh, movie, yeah. which uh, there's actually a connection to this film. There's a, a guy in this who's in the air up there, which I discovered. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was very much obsessed with basketball, uh, sort of in this period of my life. I mean, probably a little bit more mid-90s when I was a little bit older. I was only five when this movie would have come out. Um, so, you know, I, I think kind of this is also nostalgia purposes. It kind of really... You know, I'm a basketball fan, and I think it was a peak peak basketball in Australia was in the 90s. It was a big deal here, obviously, uh, sort of you know early to mid 90s. So, uh, and just with the fashion and just the music, it just is very nostalgic to me in terms of growing up being a huge basketball lover. Um, yeah, so I, look, I'm looking forward to talking about this because again, I did, I definitely did not hate this movie. I'm definitely not you and Titanic in this movie. Um, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about it. It's a very different movie, especially 1992. I mean, you're talking about a sports movie that is not about professional athletes. It's about yeah. street basketball players, which wasn't something that was big at the time. And this movie kind of popularized you know, this two-on-two or even three-on-three street basketball craze that came after that. Um, it well, probably imagine being an Olympic the... sport. Can we just point that out? It's yeah. going to be an Olympic <laughs> yes. sport in 2020. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes, it's finally happening. We owe every great Olympic sport to Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes, I'm sure. I mean, we <laughs> can find a way to tie swimming. in. Yeah, like rock climbing. I mean, I'm sure Wesley <laughs> Snipes climbed something. <laughs> um, Modern pentathlon. There's a couple of things that, you know, maybe because I saw this as a kid, but maybe also just because, I mean, Canada is very different. You know, I didn't even realize until doing a lot of the research, this is a movie I mentioned to Ben off air that every single time I watch this, I always try to find information on it because it's not like the DVDs or Blu-rays have a lot of like behind-the-scenes stuff or commentaries or anything. And really just this year, there's just been this, this huge flood of interviews with all the cast, all the crew, and people talking about it again. I mean, even recent interviews with Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, you know, just reminiscing about the movie and giving all these great stories. So we'll have some good trivia throughout here that most people probably haven't heard. Uh, but I didn't even realize that 
it was such a big deal to have a movie, you know, really where your two leads, you have a white man and a black man. I, again, I said I was 10 or 11 when this movie came out. And also Canada is different where we don't really notice stuff. Like I'm not saying better in any way, but just it, you don't notice that because especially living here in Winnipeg, where we probably have like the, it's the most multicultural city in the world. I mean, it's not unusual to have different people with different races and, Here's two guys, and it's, the movie's not about race, but at the same time, it is. Hmm. And uh, I'm finding a lot of people now are looking back on this and saying, well, it was kind of controversial at the time. And it's also you know, strange to look back on a movie when you realize that like Woody Harrelson is literally the only white actor in this entire film. And yet, I never noticed that when I was a kid. I don't notice it now. But people are noticing this now. And I don't know if this is something where people are more sensitive to it now, but... The, I think this is the type of movie that would play very differently if you released it in 2017 than in 1992. Well, I would heavily disagree with something you said there, Colin Hilding. I mean, Alex Trebek was in this movie, so... Oh, um... sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two speaking roles. <laughs> didn't, didn't see Alex Trebek in blackface or anything like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... I mean, I, I, it's similar kind of... With a lot of, uh, you know, I think it's with any movie that you really, really like that I guess you have, you like, we've all got those movies that we randomly like and that weren't necessarily the biggest box office hit in the world. I mean, all jokes aside about your hatred of Titanic, at least my love of Titanic, I can sit down on YouTube for a few hours and watch a lot of documentaries and deleted scenes and everything else, which I may have done the other day. Um, whereas, yeah, it's it's interesting that when you have a movie like this and it's always fun and nostalgic when you kind of can find all these extra things about it. And one thing I actually I noticed about this is a, a, allegedly they're remaking this movie just to give yeah. you... I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it was announced earlier in 2017 that apparently this is worthy enough to, to remake, which is kind of weird. Again, I'm not taking a dig at this movie, but, I mean, it's not like this was the biggest thing in the world, judging on what I'm looking at uh, in terms of its, you know, box office and, and ratings. But it does... It's interesting when you kind of have these movies that... Um, Obviously, after a certain amount of time, you know, start to gain a certain status. I mean, I know you and I have talked a lot about that with certain films. Like, I, I, we randomly talked about Mean Girls, did we not, at one point, how mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily the biggest hit at the time, but now that's kind of treated as, like, the be-all and end-all of cult movies. I mean, you and I, I think, talked about Zoolander off-air the other day. That wasn't exactly the biggest hit when that came out, but that turned into one of these things. So, I mean, it seems to me that 25 years it's taken for this movie for all that to come about, but... I mean, that's a, I guess it's a, it's a good thing. I mean, it's always good when one of your favorite movies has that. And I mean, it's interesting kind of what you're saying about how, uh, you know, it's not about race. And yeah, I, I mean, I did not notice that Woody Harrelson was essentially the only white actor in this film. It's interesting mm-hmm. you point that out. And, but I think that's a, that's a definitely a positive because like I can definitely see elements of this movie where it is about race. I mean, the movie yeah. is called White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's kind of races in the title there. But at the same time, m- the majority of this film, you really don't feel as though this is about race. I mean, you got a, a, a black and a white lead and sort of a Puerto Rican lead as the, th- as the three main cast members. And, I mean, I think it's, it's beautifully done in the fact that, w- despite a few minor things, really you watch this whole film not even bothered, not that you should be, that, you know, this is multiracial, it's 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 not making a huge deal out of it, and mm-hmm. I think it's very well done the way they do that. One thing that is, 
I guess just a bit of a correction or, or maybe just put in a different context. I mean, as far as this movie not being like the biggest hit, we should mention 1992. I mean, the movie made $76 million domestically, $90 million worldwide. For an R-rated movie about street basketball with two actors, one of which was famous as one of the supporting characters on Cheers, and the other one, Wesley Snipes, nobody knew. And this movie's R-rated. It's you know, it should be controversial. You shouldn't be taking your kids to see you know people having sex and <laughs> uh, scamming each other and everything and uh, trash talking each other. But like this was just behind Bram Stoker's Dracula and Patriot Games. I mean, Jack Ryan series, huge series under siege, just beat this out. You know, for the box office for the year. So it was up there. I mean, if you're looking at the size of the movie, you know, compared to where it lands, I mean, the 16th highest grossing film domestically of the year. And if you're looking at inflation, too, I mean, this would be like a movie, a small R-rated movie that's mostly just talking and a few basketball scenes with unknown actors making $130, $140 million today. I mean, in comparison, this was big at the time. And that's one of the things I remember most about it before... I was able to see it, you know, when it came out on video is this movie was in theaters like for a long time. And it was one of these movies that just stuck around week after week. And there was a lot of people talking about it. Uh, and I remember pay-per-view. If you, you had pay-per-view in Hobart or do you remember when that came in? Uh, it would have been the mid to uh, mid nineties pay-per-view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like the same for us. Like 1992 was the first year that we got pay-per-view in Winnipeg. And every single week, you'd, I'd watch like the, what's on pay-per-view and every once in a while we'd order a movie. We ordered this off pay-per-view because I wanted to see it. Um, and this movie just never left pay-per-view. Like it was there longer than anything else in 1992. So, I mean, it had a huge following at the time. And it's just one of these movies, I think, that in years past, it, you kind of lose context. I, I feel like that's very similar to a lot of other smaller uh, independent movies or even just smaller movies that don't have like, you know, a, a big actor or a big action in it. You take like my big fat Greek wedding. Most people forget my big fat Greek wedding was like one of the highest grossing films, like top five highest grossing films of 2002, which was one of the competitive years ever. So uh, I think the movie was like hugely successful back then. And it's almost weird that it's it's sort of lost something along the way. But people are now because there's all this new stuff out there, I think, starting to discover. And because the Oz Network's covering it. Yeah. People well, are rediscovering this. That, that's why it will obviously take off really big. I mean, yeah. judging on the comments, actually, and I'm not even joking, we actually did get comments on our Titanic one, which is, I think, the first for a film recap we've ever done. So, firstly, thanks to all the comments we got on our Titanic <laughs> recap. In your face, Colin Hilding. Um, but, yeah, I mean, of course, I guess also, too, we live in a day and age now where it's basically expected for most films to make over $100 million. Um, and I mean, obviously this was at a period, what did you say, like 80, $90 million this made? I mean, yeah. that's pretty decent. You got to think for a movie 25 of this. 25 years ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, I think very decent considering that, uh, you know, I, I couldn't imagine it was that common for movies in 1992 to make this that weren't, you know, your Star Wars, your Back to the Futures, uh, your Aladdins, you know, things like that. Um, so, And in comparison, just to cut you off really quickly, The Mighty Ducks made $50 million that year. Oh, I mean... Travesty, what's wrong with people in 1992? Can't jump, seen by twice as many people with an R rating. Only $50 million for The Mighty Ducks. Geez, that hurts my feelings, Colin. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting, and it, it's kind of you know, I and I mentioned Eddie the Air up there. Uh, you know, I, I, it'd be interesting to kind of look at just basketball movies alone, where this would sit on the the grand scheme of things, because I guess kind Have of it here. Yeah, well, are you? Do you want to know? I would love to know. 
White Man Can't Jump, the second highest grossing basketball film of all time behind only Space Jam. I was going to say Space, Space Jam, Jam would be number one, right? Space Jam, which came out how many years later? What was that, 1996? yeah. So four years later, Space Jam made only $4 million more than this domestic wow. box office. Jeez. So that didn't even crack the $100 million either. Yeah. So no movie, basketball movies, ever made 100 So Space Jam 2... When that comes out and completely ruins the legacy that is of Space Jam, when LeBron James shits all over the legacy of the Looney Tunes playing basketball with a legendary NBA star, when that no doubt cracks $100 million. Uh, so hopefully the white man can't jump remake <laughs> might turn around and, and uh, do that. One thing actually will be or interesting. Or Air jumping, Bud 9. Oh, Air Bud 9, true. Or Eddie 2. Um, although, let's be honest, Eddie 2 actually would follow the real-life journey of the New York Knicks picking somebody out from the stands, because they couldn't do any worse than they've done recently. Um, I, yeah, I mean, one thing that I'm jumping well ahead here, uh, it'd be interesting for us to talk about maybe at the end of this, if we, we think who would be two stars today who would fill the, the very big shoes of Wesley Snipes and Morty Harrelson, uh, in the remake of White Man Can't Jump, because... That's a big question to pose, and one, you know, probably Idris Elba, because he's always going to be everyone at some point. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that, but, uh, wow. Second highest grossing well, basketball movie of all time, people. <laughs> well, let's uh, talk a little bit. I mean, the two leads, Woody Harrelson had been on Cheers for years, but um, he hadn't gotten a movie role since he'd been on Cheers. This was his first movie role he'd been able to land. And the last movie role he was in was also a movie that he co-starred in with Wesley Snipes. Uh, it was a movie called Wildcats, which I think was a football movie. I never saw it, but it was like from the mid-80s, and they both had kind of a smaller supporting role in it. Uh, it, it wasn't because of that that they cast them together, but uh, it's just interesting that both of them sort of had that early brush of fame and then nothing, and then all of a sudden they come back in a movie together again. and. One of the things we'll talk about in the end is just the, the legacy of these two guys as a duo. And uh, I think how important it was you know, uh, for chemistry in male leads, which is something that's often forgotten. People only associate the word chemistry with like man and woman. Uh, but the chemistry between these two is insane. And yeah. that's kind of the reason they were cast. You know, some of the other names that were up for this, which again, things I only discovered <laughs> recently. Keanu Reeves was the first choice. And one of the prerequisites is they needed to see that they could play basketball on screen. And Keanu Reeves was apparently just, it just didn't work with him on screen. Like, he could not play. Uh, so they kind of vetoed Keanu Reeves just on the grounds that he wouldn't be believable playing basketball. Charlie Sheen was offered it and turned it down. Uh, for the Wesley Snipes role, they wanted Denzel Washington, and he wanted to go off and make Malcolm X, so it wasn't even, like, a possibility. And another actor in the movie that I'll point out later on that this role was actually written for, who got demoted to a smaller role. But they eventually land on Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. I mean, and they are this movie. And even if you look at the poster, I mean, 2017, there's probably only a handful of actors that their name alone could sell a movie. And these two guys with both this and the movie they made after this money train, it, it doesn't say Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson on the poster. It says Wesley and Woody. Like, <laughs> In 1992, it was a huge, like, these two guys were, like, the greatest duo of the year. And uh, we'll talk more about them throughout here. But I, I found it was interesting that they weren't the first choices. And one of the reasons that it actually ended up as these two was because, A, they were good at improvising, which is one of the things that Ron Shelton, the director, wanted. And the other thing was that they were believable playing basketball, which is funny because apparently Wesley Snipes, it's mostly a lot of tricks of the camera. Like Woody Harrelson was apparently pretty good at basketball 
on screen, like very passable. But Wesley Snipes, especially when they started filming, was just like, it's a lot of editing tricks. <laughs> like, they had to work on him. Yeah, um, I'm glad you talked about all that. One thing I just wanted to say was um, Woody Harrelson was in a ran- random movie that I really like, uh, which I think came out a year before this, according to this list I'm looking at, Doc Hollywood, which he was... Oh. Uh, I love that movie. No, there you go. We're, we're finding loves of each other here right now. It's a random movie that I've always just liked, um, which is just a very obscure movie. We missed out on the 25th anniversary of that one. We'll have to wait to the 30th anniversary for that one in 2021. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, there's nothing you can't say badly about these two in terms of their, their chemistry. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's just insane. Um, it's so good. And... Um, I was reading about that too, about Wesley Snipes, and apparently he wasn't that good at basketball. Um, but it's, it's interesting kind of that you were saying about, like, with the poster, about how these two, I guess, exactly weren't the biggest, biggest stars in 1992. I mean, looking at the poster, I just assumed they were still huge stars back then because, you know, you would assume that, as you said, just by having their first names on the poster. So, it, I mean, that's just still very rare even to these days. Um, I mean, look, I, I love Wesley Snipes. Uh, I think Wesley Snipes is just an underrated actor in many ways because he kind of seems to have really trailed off now. And I don't know if that's just because he doesn't know how to pay his taxes. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, he kind of, what, since he really got Blade, he kind of, I don't know how you describe his career, but, I mean, he seemed to be in such good movies in, like, the 90s, did he not? Like, mm. the, he's actually a really good actor. But he yeah. kind of seems to have turned into this one-dimensional action star now, which I guess is still good. But, I mean, I don't know. I think Wesley Snipes is a very underrated actor. And Woody Harrelson, I mean, again, I like Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's kind of this this weird enigma to me. And I'm allowed to say this because he's a man. He's a very unattractive, weird-looking man that <laughs> you really wouldn't expect to be this A-list Hollywood star. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's not that typical Hollywood star with good looks. He's just your everyman. He just looks like you're just everyman, which I guess maybe is why he's so popular and he's got this kind of reputation even for being like a real ladies' man with some of the stories that have floated around what he gets up to outside of, you know, being an actor. But... Yeah, I mean, looking at kind of who could have been in this role, you mentioned Charlie Sheen um, and Keanu Reeves. My biggest hurt was David Duchovny. Could oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love... Did you see him trash-talking? No, like, no. <laughs> I love David Duchovny. I love Fox Mulder, and I love Hank Moody. It really did give me a different perspective of him um, when it came to him being in Californication. And I'm a huge fan of his, and some of his movie roles, I mean, Beethoven, the evil guy in that, I love, randomly love Evolution, which is kind of a forgotten movie, but I could not imagine him trash-talking and playing street basketball. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just does not fit in with David Duchovny, so uh, I think you had the perfect duo here. I mean, I know you and I have talked a lot about, in other movies, oh, who could have been in this movie, and things like that and we talked a lot about you know in titanic about how that would have been different if the two leads of that had changed but this is one of these ones that just you know i mean even the great denzel washington i mean he can basically act anything because he's amazing but i don't even know if denzel washington because wesley snipes just has something about him which kind of it's so believable that he is just a street basketball i don't know if that's not meant yeah. to sound inappropriate or anything like i just well, it's, it's just something about i mean yeah. Like, Wesley Snipes, this is what I love. I came out of this movie and basically worshipped these two guys for the next 10 years and saw every movie they made. Uh, and, and I'll back up what you said. Like, Wesley Snipes, even outside of 
the action movies. Like, he made movies like Passenger 57 and Demolition Man during the 90s. But there are a lot of other movies like Rising Sun he made with Sean Connery and Boiling Point, where he's, like, a real good dramatic actor and doesn't get enough credit for it. Uh, but, like, these guys exploded after this movie. I mean, if you look at Woody Harrelson's resume, you know, he, he did this and Cheers was off the air, I think, the next year. And then he's got, like, Kingpin and The People versus Larry Flint and Disclosure, uh, Natural Born Killers. I mean, he quickly became, like, the leading man of Hollywood for at least dramatic movies. And Wesley yeah. Snipes, I mentioned all those action movies he did. Good dramatic movies, too. You know, Blade, obviously. Um uh, but what I think works with this is that, you know, Woody Harrelson, A, he's way more believable with the basketball stuff than you would expect him to be. You would never expect Woody from Cheers to play basketball, period. Uh, but what works with him is that he has this sincerity about him where he's likable, even though he's the, the less likable character. Yeah, and I agree. Wesley Snipes, the physicality he has, I mean, for one thing, try to find any action star of the 80s or 90s that isn't white, okay, for one thing. Uh, really, uh, outside of him, who is there? But also try to find one action hero of the '80s and '90s who isn't this big, you know, mountain of muscle. And Wesley Snipes was this small, very you know, ripped guy, but thin and fast. And you know, he used a lot of martial arts, which we had never seen before in movies. You know, Sylvester Stallone wasn't doing like backflips, and they just had this. He has this physicality where it's believable, and you can't see somebody like Denzel Washington doing that, even if he could have nailed every line of this movie. Yeah, and one thing that I, I'm glad you mentioned because I was going to ask you this question is in terms of like improv because there's so much of this movie which is just amazing dialogue between the two of them and not just the two of them like you know the supporting characters particularly on the basketball court that that to me I'm thinking there's no way this is scripted like surely there's an outline of what they've got to say but just the back and forth between these actors like that has to be improvised it's just so naturally flowing and just so great that. Um, you know, I'm glad you kind of, I guess, semi-confirmed that. I'm sure you'll talk a little bit more about that throughout it, if you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was just just the way that's done. And, um, yeah, the, these two together are fantastic and just, um, yeah, underrated actors. Because even Woody Harrelson now sort of almost fallen back into a supporting role, has he not, with his, like, Hunger Games crap? And, you know, I know he played, what, LBJ recently mm-hmm. in a movie. But, um, you know, I one of my favorite random television roles that he was in that I really liked. Cause you know, I'm a Will and Grace fan. He was, um, he played a guy called Nathan. He was Grace's like long-term boyfriend for a period in uh, Will and Grace for a while. And he was hilarious. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's good com- comedic actor. Obviously he's a good dramatic actor. I mean, he kind of ticks all the boxes. So, um, and I mean, also one of the great comebacks of like the last few years, like you mentioned hunger games, but even on top of that, the now you see me movies, and, uh, you know, even just critically, I think he got an Oscar nomination for a movie called Rampart. Um, War of the Planet of the Apes he was just in. I mean, Woody Harrelson, all of this, he's going to be in the Han Solo movie. But the biggest thing being, you know, the TV show he did with Matthew McConaughey, True Detective. Oh, True Detective, which, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just Woody Harrelson's as big now as he was in 1992. And we talked recently about how Matthew McConaughey has kind of changed into this serious, dramatic guy when we did uh, Dark Tower. So, yeah, I haven't seen True Detective yet. I, I want to, though. I've heard it's good. Yeah, sorry, I was swallowing a drink there, but um, you you getting back to that great. money I wasn't, that you were talking I about wasn't, before. <laughs> I wasn't pausing. Like it's a really good show. Okay, <laughs> Ben's great opinions show. are bad again. <laughs> um, we will talk more about the improv. Uh, also, want to just quickly mention Ron Shelton, who directed this movie. If you look at the guy, you would never expect him to make a movie like this and to make it so authentic. But what's even funnier is. Aside from all of the improv that is in this, 
Ron Shelton kind of based this in a way on himself because he was this street basketball player even after he made his first breakthrough movie, Bull Durham. And he's basically made a career off making sports movies and really critically acclaimed sports movies. Uh, you know, you run through his filmography and he did uh, Bull Durham. He did White Men Can't Jump after that. And then there was Hollywood Cobb. Homicide. Yeah, that game. I loved Hollywood Homicide. I mean, maybe Josh Hartnett in it, your biggest, yeah. uh, your favorite exactly. actor. <laughs> uh, Tim Cup with uh, Kevin Costner. Play to the Bone, a movie that I'm convinced has Woody Harrelson in it. I'm convinced was meant to be Woody and Wesley again, but a boxing movie. And even just wrote a whole bunch of others, like The Great White Hype, a boxing movie. Blue Chips, another basketball movie. Um, he's kind of the master of this, but this was his thing, is that he played street basketball in these same neighborhoods. Even when he was this rich, famous director, and one of the funny stories I read recently is that you know people that he played basketball with had no idea that he was this acclaimed director who'd done this big, massive movie, Bull Durham, until he mentioned to them, oh yeah, I'm making a movie about street basketball now, you know, because this was him. So a, a lot of this authentic stuff comes from him, but then a lot of the improv as well, which he encouraged. Um, do you have anything to add on? No, I, look, I, I, I'm not that familiar with him. Uh, again, looking at his... I've heard of the films. Um, I don't think besides Hollywood Homicide I've ever seen any of the others. I know, I know my mum randomly liked Tin Cup, um, but... That yeah. is a mom movie. Yeah. That was his, his <laughs> old branch to the moms, yes. Yeah, I, I remember just seeing that sitting on the video shelf growing up, going, what the fuck's Tin Cup? But yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I guess we'll finally jump into the movie here. We've given a bit of history on White Man Ken. So. What did we say about this? Wouldn't take too long. We're half an hour. Yeah. We haven't even started talking about the movie. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so the coolest thing that we start with here is the Venice Beach Boys. This this trio of uh, <laughs> acapella singers, which I, I guess they're a real group. And Ron Shelton just wanted to include them in the movie, and they're just kind of are uh, doing the opening number here. But then they're worked into the movie, and you know Billy's getting into it. And, uh, but the first real laugh, because the funny thing about this movie is it is a comedy, but it's not like a comedy that you you really see any of the funny stuff coming. It feels like a dramatic movie with a lot of funny parts. And you can just little things like when, you know, he gives them the donation and then he's walking away. He's like, hey, I play me a song. And then they're like, he put a dollar in. What do we do for a dollar? I don't know. Give him a dollar's worth. And they just start going like, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> going to sing for him. This is your dollar's worth here. Um but Woody Harrelson, Billy Hoyle, all we really know at this point is he's just showing up. This is a new city he's in. He lays down on the basketball court, and when the camera pans up, a game's already going on, and this is where Wesley Snipes comes in, Sidney Dean. And this is a three-on-three game, and I think this is the only three-on-three game we see in this movie. Everything else after this is two-on-two, and it, I've always been bothered as to why they only played three-on-three here, as well as I'm bothered by why Sidney has probably the oldest man in California on his team right now. Like, there's this 80-year-old guy playing with him wearing a crop top, mind you. <laughs> Which is just the weirdest thing to see, uh, no matter what year this is. That's not appropriate for an 80-year-old man. Uh, but they're just playing a game, and there's a bit of a dispute. And this is... It's it's really quick how he introduces you to this street basketball and that, you know, especially in these neighborhoods, it's a lot of trash talk. I mean, this movie, the first 10 minutes is basically all trash talk and mama jokes, which was this is probably the first time I ever knew what mama jokes were. <laughs> and Ron Shelton apparently wrote like 34 mama jokes for this movie <laughs> and then had them improvise a few as well. But uh, the, the game's kind of up in dispute as to you know who's in the lead one player has to duck out uh, because his bunions hurt <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, what is a bunion like it's like is, a, the 
like an oversized blister or something on your foot, isn't it? Like it's kind of like a, a type of a blister on your, your heel or something, I think. I think I got a bunion on my big toe. I don't know, but <laughs> it wouldn't stop me from winning. Playing street know, so- basketball, Colin? Uh, yeah. <laughs> mean streets of Winnipeg? <laughs> <laughs> oh, eh, I'm sorry about calling your mother a whore, eh? Oh, that's okay. Eh? Let's play basketball. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, some of the little things here, like, there's a lot of lines that come back over and over again. Like, Wesley's type saying it's, you know, uh, it's hard work uh, making another man look so bad. You know, I just love... This whole trash talk environment, like this movie could be two hours of trash talk and still be a blast. And we get the greatest insult ever, which is the only insult in the movie that makes no sense, where somebody says something about an astronaut. I go, yeah, your mother's an astronaut. And of all the things they're saying, this guy flips out, hey, you don't talk about my mama that way. <laughs> my mama's an astronaut. Mama's I don't astronaut. get it. Why is that insulting? I'm like, cool, is she? That's nice. <laughs> I think that's part of the joke is that it, it really isn't an answer. It's like... The guy heard my mom was an astronaut. And he didn't understand what he was saying. It's like, hey, you don't talk about her that way. <laughs> I just love when Wesley goes, "My mom, your mom is on an astronaut. Your father's on an astronaut. Nobody in your family's an astronaut." <laughs> um, so many great lines here. Like, you know, if we lose you, I'm gonna like his friend, uh, Kadeem Hardison, who plays his friend, who also did another basketball movie too. But he's like, if I lose to them, uh, I'm gonna go home and kill myself, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> Getting really whiny about not wanting to kill himself because he lost to the wrong team. Yeah, so you imagine if he does, like, oh, damn, I lost. I have to commit suicide. Far <laughs> out. <laughs> this is the hardship of Venice Beach. My man of my word. I never go against what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Hand me that razor. <laughs> but um, Billy gets introduced here because Mr. Bunyan has to step out of the game. And they're looking around. It's like, hey, take, take you know, this this guy here, the, the white guy. And I love they even have the debate. <laughs> it's like why don't you want to play it because i'm white yeah it's because he's white just look at him <laughs> just the, the quick fire way these guys play off each other is great um and at this point we don't know what's going on one of the things i love about this movie is that it is unpredictable i mean i'm interested to get your takes to see how many of these things really did swerve you and maybe if you already knew this was kind of not just a basketball movie it really is a hustling movie it's about you know using basketball to hustle uh, but they kind of just say, well, take Billy Hoyle here, uh, throw him into the game, and you know I can still beat you. And, of course, Billy can really play, which nobody saw coming. Of course, this is all set up on Billy's part. Uh, they have the debate about him being a chump. Uh, <laughs> can you count to ten, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love, like, everything they do back and forth here is fantastic. And then, uh, of course, when they win the game... They place a little bit of a bet uh, between Sydney and Sydney's feeling like a little bit of the pride and Billy's playing up on this. And this is where the hustle part of the movie really comes in is it Woody's playing these guys. I'll just call him Will- Woody, not Billy here. We know <laughs> who they are. They're Woody and Wesley. Yeah. Woody and and Wesley. Uh, yeah. And so he uh, he places his bet. He has sixty two dollars on him, which I'm sure now is like, I don't know, one hundred and ten, one hundred fifteen or something. And uh it's basically you know just doing free throws like from the three pointer line and who's going to miss first and it's back and forth sorry i burped there <laughs> <laughs> this is already better than the titanic episode you're sucking in the oxygen and it's coming out <laughs> um, professional as always here on the oz network <laughs> so it's just trash talk back and forth and uh, you know they're each making the shots and billy's playing it down i'm calling him billy again 
you know, he's just saying, I'd never make two in a row. And it's like, I'm certainly not going to make three. I'm feeling so lucky. <laughs> and of course, Sydney's friend here is like, we're going to Sizzler. <laughs> <laughs> Every character in this movie is just such a blast. Uh, and right before the final shot that Sydney takes, you know, uh, Billy's made five in a row. And he says, you know, I've hustled much better players than you before. And that throws Wesley, a.k.a. Sydney, off. He misses the shot. And we realize this was just a con the whole time, and we'll break there. This whole opening sequence, the first semi game they have, and then the first hustle. Well, considering you and I have uh, vast experience playing street basketball in California <laughs> with uh, African American men, uh, we obviously can uh, relate very highly to these scenes. Uh, but I mean, look, it's fantastic. It's so like you know, straight away you're talking about the Venice Beach Boys. I mean, they're great. I wanted to see more of them, um, and, but we don't. I like dancing Woody Harrelson in front of them, and of course we get the uh, connection to Titanic in the background yeah. that you pointed out on Twitter. Um, which look, one thing I've got to say. I mean, I know this movie is 1992, but this movie is just peak 1990s everything yeah. about this with the fashion the music i mean we had that random rollerblader with the uh very high up bathing suit that's like stretched up a butt <laughs> i mean just there's so much about this movie that is 1990s personified which is fantastic um but yeah i mean i just love the back and forth between all these like the trash talk that your mother's an astronaut i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I guess it's kind of weird because I'm sure you had it in the mean high schools of Canada growing mm-hmm. up. Um, and, you know, you all had random insults that if anybody heard them, they're like, what? That's yeah, not exactly. an insult. You all had things that you said between your friends that just meant nothing to anybody else. Um, but what's, um, what's, what's the, I like the line where it's like, let's get off mothers here. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I just got off yours. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like every single time they're like, it's okay, yeah, fair enough. They're just can like, I, oh. Can I just uh, quickly ask, what was your favorite mama joke from White Man Can't Jump? Oh, I didn't write any down because I didn't want to be mean. But um, <laughs> I mean, oh, what was the one about like, oh, your mama's so fat she broke a leg and... D- d- gravy poured out? A gravy poured, yeah, something like that. <laughs> like, I like the, uh, your mother's so poor, I saw her kicking cans on the street, I asked what no. she said moving. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah, somebody told your mother to act her age and she dropped dead on the spot. <laughs> the, the thing that I also love the fact, which is like, again, it's just... It's so funny, just this back and forth between all these guys. And, like, the thing that is kind of the funniest about, like, any moment in this movie when you've kind of got, like, these, you know, street hustlers and you kind of, you know, you've probably got a picture in your head that maybe these are tough street guys you don't want to mess with. But they're really kind of a bit of wimps in some aspect, as obviously we'll get to another scene soon when the guy gets a gun out. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, my favourite bit here is when Wesley Snipes goes up to Woody Harrelson and he starts, like, you know, calling him a chump of that. He starts insulting him with Brady Bunch references. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, ooh, I'm going to go off at you at a show that's 30 years and old. D. Morris is like, the youngest one in girl. <laughs> <laughs> Great this movie. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that would be like today, like, I don't know, insulting someone with cheese references or something like that. Like, yeah. Oh, you're like Woody Harrelson in cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I do. The when Wesley Snipes is trying to find money, and he goes up to that guy who's so desperate to go to Sizzler. Yeah. He's like, "Oh man, I need twenty. What about the Bank of America?" <laughs> <laughs> 
and I wanted to ask, like, I don't know if you ever saw the TV show that that his friend Kadeem Hardison plays is on a different world, which was a spinoff of the Cosby Show. No, no. Uh, he's he's really the the scene stealer on that. But he made another movie after this, and after a different world, the TV show is on ended called The Six Man, which. I'd be interested to see if that movie holds up because I remember going to see that. It was another basketball movie where there's two friends and then the one friend who's a great basketball player dies and comes back as his ghost. It's just a completely ridiculous movie. But yeah, there's one we got to cover, The Six Man with Kadeem Hardison. We'll add it to the list. It's growing yeah. every episode. <laughs> Get them all done by the time we're ready to act our age and drop dead. Um, but yeah, I like the whole, the back and forth, uh, the free throws. And I just love Woody Harrelson. You know, oh, I've never made two in a row. Oh, no, no, I'm going to miss this. Oh, no, I couldn't make three. Couldn't possibly make three. Um, and then their random little talk when they're like, Michael Jordan came down here and said, oh, I was yeah. the greatest. <laughs> Just like random little bits there, um, and that Kadeem, the one you're talking about, is wearing the the Bulls twenty three jersey, is he not? Um, yeah, of course. You know, my a lot of my love in the nineties basketball, of course, was with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So you know, um, just for people listening to this who maybe are on the LeBron bandwagon, if you're in the nineties, it was the Michael Jordan bandwagon, all right? It was you know, and my, you didn't always have or to change your or Shaq. Well, really, Shaq? No, yeah. MJ. I guess my friend was Scotty Pippen, but he was a bit retarded. Um, but <laughs> that's not very nice, Ben. <laughs> well, there goes our perfect record. <laughs> I, I, I stuck in the nineties when those jokes were allowed, apparently. Um, <laughs> but um, the, look, the one thing, and I, look, you're probably going to go off at me for trying to criticise a movie that you love. But you got to point it out that a lot of this movie is based on blind luck in terms of just the ability they get away with, and like. Let's be honest, Woody Harrelson doesn't successfully hustle um, Wesley Snipes here if poor old guy doesn't have bunions. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if he at no point has bunions, he's just sitting there watching. I mean, I guess that's I guess part of the hustle, isn't it? You've just got to wait well, and be patient. If you are the only white guy on the court in Venice Beach and you have this goofy Marty McFly Jr. hat, you know... <laughs> As he said, I mean, he says, you know, you're looking at the guy, you know, um, he looks like a chump. Uh, he looks like a geek. Why would you want to do this? Maybe I'm doing it for a reason. He kind of says it. You know, I, I wanted you guys to notice me and to think you could take me. I mean, it's uh, yes, there's a little bit about with this first game. Oh, this is a lot of coincidence. But who knows? Maybe this is just what he does. He goes there and he waits for several days until somebody picks him out. Yeah, well, I, look, I, yeah, again, I'm, I'm being overcritical for critical sake, but, I mean, you know, it's, again, if he, this guy doesn't have bunions at this point, he's not into it, but, um, mm-hmm. I mean, he could have been there for five days previously. We just didn't have the cameras rolling at that point. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's other instances, I guess, where, you know, it is, uh, as you're right, though, like, that's why they do the hustle. He's the only white guy there. But um, it's still a few moments where it's kind of like, okay, well, they obviously get very lucky there. But um, again, we don't, I don't want to nitpick for nitpick's sake, even though that's generally what I do. But uh, yeah, I can't take anything away from other than this. I mean, again, the dialogue's fantastic. The trash talking's fantastic. I could imagine that, uh, you know, you see this movie and the next day you go to school and you're dropping these lines out there on the, the, the courts of Winnipeg high schools or primary schools, whatever age you were at this point, you know, calling all your friends mothers astronauts. Um <laughs> And not referring to them as the R word, which, uh, yeah, I apologise for that. That was inappropriate. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, there's nothing, you know, not to like about these opening scenes here. Uh, so after the first hustle, we get introduced to the third lead of the movie, as you said, uh, which is 
played by Rosie Perez, another complete unknown at the time, which this is where I find this movie interesting is that you put it into perspective. I mean, most people probably know who Rosie Perez is mostly from this movie, maybe from a few other things, but it's like, you don't realize that maybe between like 1992 and 1994, she was like a huge deal. Like this movie made her a massive star briefly, maybe because she was just different at the time. And, you know, the year following this, she got nominated for an Oscar as supporting actress for the movie Fearless. But Jamie just said something about boobs in the background. <laughs> I was I was going to mention, I was literally going to say she got big because she has nice boobs that are seen in this movie. And then I hear Jamie in the background. I didn't hear what she said, but I'm glad that your wife, um, your beloved wife, is the one who points out breasts. So I'm um, not a perv at the moment. That's good. <laughs> But this is what what else is funny. Like coming out of this movie, I loved West. Side, I love Woody Harrelson. My mom would do the best Rosie Perez impression. You know, the, <laughs> oh Billy, you're so stupid. Like I, the way she did it was like dead on, and she would just she would quote Rosie Perez all the time. She would just say regular everyday life phrases, even if it had nothing to do with white men can't jump, just as Rosie Perez, which is a fond memory I have of my mom. Oh, Colin, come get dinner. You're so stupid. <laughs> Very Asian Rosie Perez there, yes. Yeah, this is once again why Ben Waterworth never should do impressions of uh, people of other cultures. You, you hit the ball out of the park with your Kate Winslet of Titanic. <laughs> I just got my boobs out. <laughs> come but, back, come back. This was like like she really made it big after this movie, well, and she already uh, was big in this movie. Uh, you can see why because she is she has a I ton can of see charisma. why she was big. Sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> but it, let's like Jamie. Let's talk about her personality for a second. Like a ton of charisma in this yeah. movie, and for a movie in 1992, you know, where she's the female lead, she probably I mean she doesn't have as much screen time as the two men, but still a ton of screen time. I and mean, this is a lot of screen time for a female lead type period, and it's such a different role and as far as her cast in the movie just briefly talking about it uh originally they wanted holly hunter for this movie and uh, i guess holly hunter it was like a locked deal holly hunter was going to do it but uh ron shelton had seen rosie perez and the casting you know director had seen rosie perez and they really liked her and it's like how do you turn down holly hunter because the role was not written to be this you know uh i guess also like billy poor puerto rican girl you know, who was down on her luck and in debt and everything and just waiting for her first big break. It was supposed to be the opposite. The role was written to be this rich white girl, you know, who's kind of lured away by her scummy boyfriend. And uh, this wasn't really her life, but they really wanted Rosie Perez and the studio wasn't sure about casting her, you know, casting a Puerto Rican with a white man. Uh, but I mean, it totally works. Like, just as much as Woody and Wesley's chemistry in this movie, like, Woody and Rosie Perez have insane chemistry in this movie. And I shared a funny story with you, which is you know, a long-winded story, but <laughs> pretty funny just to see how well they work together, you know, for the, the sex scene that's coming up later in the movie. But, uh, like, they work so well together. And she's fantastic in this movie. Um, the scene that introduces her is basically her studying. And, again, this is something that's different, where it's not like she's just this um, sassy Puerto Rican girl who's, you know, helping him hustle. She's like the most intelligent character in this movie by far. She's like the most intelligent human being on the planet, basically. And you find out right away she's studying to get on Jeopardy. And this is the weird thing I said earlier on where Jamie had seen this movie with me. And I talked about this so many times. And I point out throughout this movie how many little quotes in this movie I still use to this day. Little gestures I use to this day. Uh, like when Wesley's stretching to try to just not get it. When you know, Woody's running his mouth off and he's just pretending to stretch. Little things like that that I still do. But yet... 
it took until Rosie Perez showed up on screen and Jamie's like, oh, now I remember this movie. Like, it made more of an impression on her than any the of the boobs. basketball. It was probably the boobs, yeah. <laughs> but we get a little bit of background here that the, as she calls them, the Stuky brothers, which I don't know if you caught their real name on the end that they pronounce. Uh, no, I didn't. When the characters, the Stuky brothers, finally show up after an hour and 45 minutes of Rosie Perez referring to them as the Stuky brothers... They refer to the Stucci brothers, and you realize she's just pronouncing it wrong, which is funny right. for the most intelligent oh, character. Oh, right, right, right. The gangster guy. Okay, yeah. gotcha, yep. Um, yeah. Fun little line here when he's helping her study for Jeopardy. She's just showing off how much she knows, and he goes, the last words of Lee Harvey Oswald. It wasn't me. It was the CIA. Uh, uh. <laughs> 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 it just <makes> <laughs> um, One of the other things, is, as well as I think this movie, it really is a movie about race just in terms of like you know white and black people relating to each other without race being the issue yeah uh, it's also just about men and women like this is the first movie i ever saw and i was a kid and most of it went over my head but so much of it sticks with me today uh, just about how men and women relate to each other and i mean you're single now but you haven't always been Thanks. i'm sure you've had <laughs> <laughs> have to remind me every episode oh we're half an hour in been single ha <laughs> No, throwing that out there. I'm sure we have some lady <laughs> listeners who also are big fans of Titanic and like to cry. So... <laughs> They're probably thinking I might swing a different way now after I definitely <laughs> like Titanic a little bit after too much. Spent the entire movie talking about you and your best friend, male friend, holding <laughs> Titanic lines to each other. They do think something else. And he's gay, so, you know. Uh, <laughs> yep. But... I guarantee every conversation that they have about relationships in this movie, Billy and uh, Gloria, you're like, I've had that. Like the, you know, how much do you love me? I love you, Infinity. Well, that's not good enough. Infinity is the biggest number there is. What's bigger? Infinity plus two. (laughs) It's like, well, I love you, Infinity plus two. Well, you should have said Infinity plus Infinity. (laughs) Yes, the dynamics of uh, female conversation and male understanding is very well represented in this movie, particularly when we get to the glass of water scene. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got a great story on that one. (laughs) That is so, Uh, so true. (laughs) But, you know, he plays off this. There's other times where they fight throughout this movie, and that relationship is so realistic. It may be one of the most realistic uh, man and woman relationship uh, portrayals I've ever seen, but... um, he, he, they're about to get it on, which is not the only time this movie is going to happen, just be warned. And he stinks too bad, so he's going to go take a shower. And he has, which my opening line was, their big jar full of cash they're saving up to pay off the Stuky brothers. And he goes, I'm going to come back and put my mouth where this money is. <laughs> the line that, I'm, I'm s- sad to so say. He said Jamie, that's why I laughed so much before. <laughs> well, I'm sad to say, obviously I did not get that line I was thinking you still was don't get that line, Colin. Let's be honest. Jamie had to explain it to you. That's the funny one because I, when I was a kid, I thought that he was just saying, "Put my money where my mouth is," or whatever, and it was just you know, uh, not even like an innuendo. He was just using the figure of speech. I was probably well into my twenties before I caught this joke. <laughs> I can imagine you're watching this movie with Jamie, and that scene comes on, and you turn to her and go, "I still don't get that line, Jamie." Jamie's like, "You see, Colin, besides sex, men and women can have this thing called foreplay. We should try it." <laughs> men and women love each other very much. <laughs> oh, so we can do that before we do that? Really? Oh, okay. But I, I do want to say I don't want to paint the picture like you know I completely don't. <laughs> here you know when you're a kid you see a movie so many times that you if you're watching it 
you don't even stop to think about it unless you're doing a podcast or something. You know, <laughs> as a kid in the 90s, <laughs> wow, we were ahead of the curve. <laughs> I mean, like, 1992, yeah. five-year-old Ben. Let's do a thing <laughs> called a podcast. What's that? I don't know, but it'll be big in 20 years' time. <sighs> it'll be a great format to tell mama jokes, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just mean, like, you remember it as you did as a kid, so a joke yeah. you didn't get as a kid, you may be well into your adult years before you get it. But um, There's a knock on the door. Of course, they're paranoid because it might be the Stooky Brothers. Uh, but it's not. It's Sidney Dean. He's shown up and he makes himself right at home. <laughs> this, I just love. There's a lot of people. Everybody knows somebody like this. They just come and they sit down. They lie down. He lies down on their bed, and then Gloria's like, "Are you comfortable?" He goes, "Yeah, but you know, a futon's actually much better for your back." <laughs> and he basically proposes this business proposal to him after you know getting a little bit of background. You know that Billy had done some college basketball and it didn't work out. He says he has an idea uh, for them to enter this tournament together, which is going to come up later on. Uh, but that, you know, there'll be a couple of hustles along the way. Says, what kind of hustle? We'll find out in the next scene. So let's talk about the introduction of Rosie Perez here and then the business partnership forming between Billy and Sydney. It's funny you say about we all have that friend. My uh, friend that I was talking about before with my Titanic references, he is that friend. He would just show up and <laughs> go to the fridge. And like, like I, I, I would have my best friend at the time who I would literally be at her house like two days a week and she'd be at my house two days a week. You know, you had always had that friendship in school. But like, it, no matter how much I was at her house, no matter how much I got along with her mum, I still could never just go to the fridge or the cupboard and help myself. I was still always... Oh, you know, could I have a drink? Of course you can. Help yourself. You know what I mean? You would, and you would do the reverse with her. She was very polite. He didn't give a shit. Within two seconds of coming to your house for the first time, he'd be in the fridge making himself a fucking sandwich. Uh, everybody yeah. else want one? Um, it's like, ben dude, also, you literally just knew my fridge five seconds ago. Ben also didn't mention that he would usually, you know, sit down on the couch and say, I want you to draw me wearing nothing but this. <laughs> yeah, that's often what I would do. I mean, I know when I came to your house and it's kind of like you're offering me bloody ketchup-flavoured chips and yeah. pizza and then the next night Jamie's cooking his macaroni and cheese and it's like, you know, I didn't get up and make us all mac. I could have if you wanted me to. It wouldn't have been as good as Jamie's. That was bloody good macaroni and cheese. Um, I hope that night you did put your mouth where the money was. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> you kept me talking about die another day until like one o'clock. But in the you were you weren't in the mood. Um, yeah. I was. So I got along with my Airbnb host that night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, so I wouldn't have. She was a bit weird. But anyway, um, <laughs> hello to my Winnipeg Airbnb host if she's listening. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, look, I love Rosie Perez. I love her character in this movie for the most part. I'm going to be very critical a lot of the time, though, of her character. You're going to hate me because, oh. like, there is parts to her character, if you analyse her, that it's kind of like, really? Like, what are you doing? Like, stop your complaining. You're not doing anything in this relationship. You're sitting around <laughs> waiting for a phone call, um, which, I mean, rightfully so she should be because she's fucking amazing at Jeopardy. But, I mean, <laughs> she wouldn't get that phone call if it wasn't for Woody. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. But, uh, yeah, like, this back and forth. Let's, Woody Harrelson has great chemistry with everyone. Yeah. Like, I mean, Woody Harrelson is the guy that, kind of going back to the everyman persona, like... He is just a guy that guys want to hang out with, girls want to be with, and he probably has been with them because he's like a notorious ladies' man. Mm -hmm. But um, 
You just imagine that this is what Woody Harrelson is like in real life. He's not acting at this point. He's trying to pick up Rosie Perez <laughs> and kind of got your story that you would like you sent me before about what happened between this and their sex scene. It's just to me, I'm like, oh, you know, good on you, Woody Harrelson. You know, typical. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just so good, and it's just it's. It's just so believable, and it's kind of what you were saying about how this is meant to be Holly Hunter. I'm, I'm glad. Like, I love Holly Hunter. I mean, I talked a, a lot about her recently in the uh, the Big Sick episode that I did. I mean, who doesn't like Holly Hunter? But, I mean, you, you just, you want to, you don't want anyone else to be in this but besides Rosie Perez, and it's kind of, you know, this is an interracial couple, and it's not even brought up as an issue, which is great. Yeah. Like, I've always been one of these people who... You know, if you've got to represent a, a minority in a film or something along those lines, be it, you know, race, gender, you know, sexual identity, things like this, I, I, I'm always for these storylines where it's not raised as an issue. Like, Yeah, exactly. You know, like, if you've got a gay character in a film, like, don't make it about their and- limited rights. It's just like, just have a, a gay couple with a family and it's, it's, it's perceived as normal. Like, I don't see why we always have to... I can understand in certain films you've got to do that, but, like, yeah. like, this is what I like about this film, is that you have an interracial couple, which in the early 90s, you know, race-related matters, particularly in California, were, you know, very heated at this time, mm-hmm. and it's, it's barely raised at all, and I love it. That's what I and, loved about this film. And, and again, it's the experience I take away from this having seen it as a kid and other things. And again, Canada is a different country. It's not the same as America or even other places, but some of this stuff is not really as big of a deal here anyways. But I just think about movies like this that don't raise racial issues in the movie. And yes, there are ones you're not going to make the help and not mention it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If if you make a movie like this, you know, the kids are going to watch this movie and they're not going to know kids don't know any better. You know, they haven't learned prejudice or anything yet. And as a 10-year-old or 11-year-old or whatever I was, I'm trying to figure out. I actually was, yeah, I was 11 when this came. So as an 11-year-old watching this movie, I was never going to get any type of like racial tension unless you told me there's racial tension. So if more movies are made like this, more people in the next generation just simply aren't going to notice because it took me until the age of 36 watching this movie for the billionth time this afternoon to realize there's only one white guy in this movie. Yeah, How and I didn't that? know that until you told me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's yeah, I agree. Like, you know, there are movies you have to do the help. I mean, Brokeback Mountain, you know, you have to have sort of the whole gay issue there and, you know, crash. Like, we could list a whole bunch of films You're here, talking, people. But, you weren't talking about race there. I'm like, <laughs> well, all the racial you know, tension between Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. <laughs> the Australian-American dynamic was just huge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, this one standout for this film, and that's what's also so great about this Woody Harrelson, Rosie Perez dynamic. But yeah, I didn't pick up the Stooky Brothers reference. Um, that's funny. Um, I mean, it's kind of, it's interesting because, um, I know I'm jumping ahead, but when they eventually have to, like, run away from their house, it's kind of obviously a, an ongoing theme. But I mean, I'll have questions about how the hell do they pay for the motel later on if they've got no money, and how do they get all their stuff again if they left it all of a sudden? But, you know, again, I'm just... They're carrying it. some bags. So maybe they're just ready to run. She didn't rip down all the posters off the wall. Though. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> all of her almanacs that she's reading, she's yeah. definitely not hearing those. Well, the one random thing uh, which I found very interesting on the the trivia about this movie is when he mentions about Lee Harvey Oswald that apparently Woody Harrelson's father in real life was a targeted as a possible accomplice for the killing of John F. Kennedy. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
We've got one man in this movie who can't pay his taxes and another whose dad could have shot the President of the United States. So <laughs> there's a movie in itself. Can we just, like, redux Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson in 2017? One man couldn't pay his taxes. The other is the son of a president killer. And, of course, <laughs> the famous last words of Woody's father was, it wasn't me, it was Lee Harvey. Oh! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like... The one thing that, look, I'm sure you can fill me in throughout this film, because obviously Jeopardy with the iconic Canadian Alex Trebek and just in general Jeopardy in itself. Jeopardy's never been a thing here in Australia. I think they tried to make it in like the 80s, I think. I know there's been Australian versions of it, but I always grew up watching movies and TV shows of America and just thinking, what is this Jeopardy thing? And I never understood the... I still don't really understand the concept of Jeopardy that you answer with the answer or like i i would be shit at jeopardy because i could get the questions right but i hate the way they've got to answer them it's like, in it the form the of shits. a question yeah yeah so like i i would be intrigued like how they're like she's so like obviously jeopardy was the biggest game show at the time i'm guessing it mm. still kind of is i mean for our, in australia that would have been we had this show called sale of the century which oh my god what a show that was growing up fucking loved it i miss sale of the century anyway but um it's please i can't wait till we get to the jeopardy scene for you to fill me in on the uh jeopardy love because that's oh, what i want in a movie about street basketball and hustling um but yeah it's kind of it's interesting like with yeah wesley snipes when he shows up again we just use our actors names we don't need the character names <laughs> Um, but yeah, like how the, the one thing that really got me in this movie, which I think you kind of, you said to me before, you'd be interested to get your reactions is that at no point did I assume that Wesley Snipes was going to hustle Woody Harrelson back. Yeah. At no point did I ever believe, I just thought this was just one of those typical movies about like, oh, you know, two men from the different side of town, you know, getting together and, you know, performing well and earn money. At no point did I ever click that he was going to hustle him back. So, yeah, that was... At this point, I'm not even thinking that's going to happen. I'm like, here's our dynamic duo teaming up Mm -hmm. to, you know, hustle some more people. Yeah, and especially because they wait a while to play it out, and it is so convincing, and that's why I like the whole hustling aspect of this movie is that Ron Shelton used it as a way to surprise the audience because he hustles the audience along with the characters. And, you know, what he proposes here just leads in the next scene where it is the hustle, but you're seeing it... From, and there are some discrepancies I'll kind of point out where it's like, aren't these people supposed to be in on it? Why are they playing it up like this? Not yeah. in this game, but in the next one. But like this first hustle here, you know, the idea is that uh, Wesley, Sydney is on the court playing Raymond, who I guess there's a lot of like real pro basketball players in this movie. And the guy that played Raymond, I guess, was a, a real NBA player that they used in the movie. I'm not there's familiar with you, Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, Raymond is another one of my favorite characters in the movie. <laughs> I love. Oh, oh there's this there's this scene which I know you're about to cover. It's probably yeah. my favorite scene in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, again, he's losing or whatever, and he's basically saying like, you know, I could take you with any player out here. You pick anybody, and this is you know this great setup of, and this is it really makes sense. You know, you talk about well, there's a lot of coincidence. Well, I guess here it would be an obvious choice because you're going to know this group of people will pick the white kid, you know? Yeah. Uh, just like there are areas where, you know, there may only be one black kid in a school. Um, there's areas where there's probably only a white kid. Like, all these guys know what it's like to relate to probably just the one white guy. So it would make sense that, of course, he's going to pick the white kid, you know? And that's just the setup is that, well, you pick my partner for me. They're like, hey, uh, look at the chump. Give him the chump is what he says. <laughs> Brady Bunch. 
Everybody's calling him a chump throughout this movie. This must be like a 90s reference that, you know, I don't remember or something. Like, was chump a big thing? Look, um, you know, through all the racial tension that I grew up with uh, here in the mean streets of Hobart, uh, often, yes, I would be referred to by all the uh, the non-white Australians as chump. Um, no, I had no idea. I have absolutely no idea. It was idea either that, that or Brady Bunch, right? Yeah, or that my mum was an astronaut. Uh, <laughs> So. I don't know, it's just, the movie, it pops up in this a lot, and I also notice in the Rocky movies, the word chump is used a lot, so... No, I mean, I, I guess it might be one of these, like, you know, it, I'm guessing it has to be one of these sort of dated insults, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, you go back to the 50s movies, and, you know, six, like the insults that you would have in a certain era, I mean, I don't know what the 2010s insult is, I mean, bay isn't an insult, but can it be, because it's a <laughs> shit word, um, so, oh, I'm here with my, my Bay Colin recording a podcast. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, Bay's like, isn't it Swedish for poo or something like that? Or, <laughs> I'm actually like, I'm not even making that up. It's like, it's Swedish or Danish for poo. And like, this has become a cult thing. So anyway, yeah, sorry. I'll shut up. I, I am Googling it. I don't know. Yeah, no, it is like, this is legitimately like a Scandinavian word for poo. No, oh, well, Swedish, it's a defense company, a subsidiary, BAE Systems, Land and Armaments, <laughs> but close. Um, there is another thing here. The word bay uh, is Danish. Danish. It does mean poop in Danish, yes, not yeah. Swedish. Um, Swedish is land and, uh, Systems of Land and Armaments. <laughs> and in French, it probably means just take it. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about the French on the Amazing Race Canada episode uh, the other night. That's why I don't listen to it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love the Onset Works coverage of the Amazing Race. Download it now. It's fantastic. Uh, so, Raymond here, this is the other thing I like about this movie is that you have to pay close attention. And it's not one of the things I got as a kid, but just this, uh, uh, I guess, the, the poor districts here in, in Los Angeles and wherever that... Uh, this is a way of life for these guys. And there's a line that Sydney has later on where he's talking about, oh, I've got this job, i got this job, but basketball puts money on the table. This is how they make money. And you see that sometimes it is desperate. And it really is. It's like gamblers. This is what these guys are. It's more in relation to people who go to casinos and play poker than it is playing sports. Because even Raymond here, who is the biggest buffoon of the movie, you know, he doesn't have the money for this. Like, I just got to go to my glove compartment. And he basically pulls out a gun and a ski mask. <laughs> And walks right into a convenience store. And if you caught, it's so brief, but he walks past two old guys sitting out there who look at him and don't even blink. <laughs> I fucking love this scene. He's like, Raymond, is that you? No, it's not Raymond. He changes his voice, which is the best part. <laughs> Give me all your money. Raymond, is that you? <laughs> no, it ain't Raymond. <laughs> it's the best scene in the movie. <laughs> then he ends up selling his gun. And he's like, you rub me, man. <laughs> he hustles him. To take his gun. You know, there's a lot of crazy old people, crazy people out here who are going to come in here and point a gun in your face. Like, Raymond, you're one of them. <laughs> this shopkeeper is awesome. He just does not blink. Raymond, is that you? No, it's not Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, again, where he says, you're hustling me. It's great. Like, it's the best bit when he's just like, I'm just going to go to my club box and get the wallet. And like the whole time I'm thinking... We literally just saw him go into his car. His window is open. So, he, like, if this is really... Why has he got his money? Then just... When he's, like, putting his mask on and he's got a gun, I'm like, really? <laughs> no one notices this. <laughs> They're watching him right now, but there goes Raymond again. It's so funny. There is, there's a funny story with this, you know, Ron Shelton <laughs> taking his own experiences. And this is one of the things I think is cool about Ron Shelton. You know, he made this big movie, Bull Durham, and he just loved playing basketballs in these neighborhoods that this movie's taking place in. 
And when he stopped playing street basketball and switched to playing at the Y, uh, which there's, you know, <laughs> the character. <laughs> yeah, in the next scene, we'll talk about him going to the Y. <laughs> but um, he showed up at his court one day and it was padlocked shut. And, you know, he sort of asked what's going on here. It says, well, some guy, you know, there was a bet that went wrong on a game. A guy went to his glove box, came back with a gun, he shot at a bunch of people, so they closed it down. So Ron Shelton's like, I don't think I want to come back here anymore. Maybe I'm pushing it. It's the only white guy out here, the rich white guy in this neighborhood. But at the this Y. Is, yeah, <laughs> let's go to the Y. <laughs> Nobody shoots anybody at the Y. But I guess this it's not that the whole scene is taken, but just the idea that, like, you know, it, this would be normal. And that's where I think it's funny that Raymond, nobody's batting an eye of him going out there to get it. Like I said, everybody's watching. You know, this is something that I guess actually kind of happened. You're not exactly as the con is playing out here, but just the whole go to my glove box and get the gun that comes later. But um, the the con basically starts after Raymond has the money, and uh, obviously Billy's really playing up here even more so than he was on the the hustle of Sydney on you know the the, the white guy doing the jumping jacks and whatever he's doing and. Uh, Obviously, he can play. They win the game. Raymond flips out. You know, he holds a switchblade. And this is, again, one of the most, I don't, I'm not going to say unintentionally funny, but not outright funny. It's not really meant to be hilarious, but just the way that Woody and Wesley play the scene is great. Where Woody yeah. is literally panicking. And uh, he's like, hey, how, do you, how does he know about your family? He's like, you got a wife and kid. Don't mess around. He's like, wait a second. You don't know me, and you're talking about my wife and kid. Cut this guy! Cut this guy! Cut him! (laughs) He's just turning on him so quickly here. But Raymond just going to come back with his other gun after this, and everybody runs. There's a great, there's a great look. I wish I could have gotten the freeze frame for my profile pic on Skype today, but. Uh, as they're running away in the car, you know, Gloria, Gloria basically waits forever for them. And I think she does start the engine like at the last second. She's like, come on, come on. And she's sitting in the passenger seat, like start the car, (laughs) get it moving. (laughs) These guys are about to die. But um, they jump in the car and there's this hilarious look that Sydney gives. I don't know if you even caught it. Probably not, but it cracked Jamie up. He, He just gives this hilarious look just as they're leaving, like kind of sticking his tongue out and everything. But here comes into one of the other great, scenes that i don't know i've just sort of quoted at random all the time you know if you have a conversation with somebody they're talking about nobody doing this we get the first mention of the king and duck johnson um who are gonna play a part later in the movie is the only other people who did a con like this and billy pops in Jimi hendrix purple haze and sydney <laughs> freaks out and he goes why are you listening to this and he goes what am i supposed to do eat it <laughs> <laughs> And then here comes one of the funniest conversations in the movie, which kind of does make sense the way that they're having this, where, you know, Sydney's saying, uh, that's the problem with you white people. You only listen to this. I like to listen to it. You only listen. You can't hear it. And he goes, what's the difference between listening and hearing? They have this whole conversation. And uh, Gloria interjects with, what are you talking about, Sydney? His drummer was white. He goes, Jimi Hendrix's drummer was not white. And Bill looks like, the whole band's white except for Jimmy. <laughs> So he switches it up and he puts in, I don't even know who it is, but the greatest troubadour of all time. (laughs) Just the whitest sounding music imaginable. And of course, it just gets so much worse. Um, There's a quick scene they have together after Billy drops Sydney off, which of course is really subtle exposition. So he knows where he lives later on, which I don't know how he got the right apartment right later. (laughs) That's a later scene. (laughs) But... um, he sort of mentions, you know, yeah, that's a fine woman you have. And he's not saying it's like, that's a fine woman you have. Like, check out those boobs. 
He's just saying that's a <laughs> James nice. saying that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Billy gets like super defensive, which is really important. Like, there's a lot of subtle things they do to build these guys' characters that I think works really well. Like Billy being a hothead and being super protective of Gloria here. Um, and then they, there's the first mention of you know uh, looking good and winning versus uh, looking bad. And what is it? Uh, look good. You'd rather look good and lose than look bad and win. Yeah. They kind of get a bit of ar- argument here, but it just sort of ends with Sydney, you know, taunting a little bit and flirting a bit with Gloria here as he walks away. So I'll cap it there. I guess the second game, the Raymond scene, and then the Jimi Hendrix and uh, Gloria defensiveness. I love the uh, the reference, which I'm surprised you didn't mention there, the Wayne Gretzky reference. Um, you know, <laughs> do you want to play but, what basketball? No, ice hockey. Come up here, Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> you I mean by the, the way he says it too? Like that's where I was saying. He has like this really stiff white guy. You mean play basketball? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just impressed that these street hustling basketball players are familiar with Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Um, You imagine all these guys at the end of the day going home to watch the the NHL that night. Did you see in the 90s, this team came back to me, it was an animated TV show that was Wayne Gretzky... Uh, Michael Jordan and Bo Jackson, like three superstars of three no, sports. No, but why did I know this existed? What? Tell it's me more. It's amazing. No, it was an animated <laughs> show in the 90s about real-life Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, and Bo Jackson, uh, I guess, as superheroes together, as their real selves. <laughs> okay, we need to find that, and we're covering that like right now. <laughs> we are, we yeah. Stop doing this. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, no, I didn't know. I mean, anything with Wayne Gretzky and Michael Jordan in it is just basically like my wet dream. I mean, <laughs> I guess, Star. I guess it was called pro stars. Okay. We're finding that. Um, but <laughs> I guess, I guess they would know. Cause I mean, he was playing for LA at that time. Gretzky wasn't he? So I guess he was yeah. a big deal in LA. Anyway, we're not getting into ice hockey. This is <laughs> Mighty Ducks. Oz coming soon. Um, oh, can it please? Um, but yeah, I, I like this. <laughs> Just everything you summed up. I just fucking love the robbery scene. It's so funny. And then just when he gets... I just love Raymond. When he gets the gun at the end, he's like, I'm going to go get my other gun. <laughs> and everyone's like, ah! <laughs> just like, again, kind of just... It's it's played so funnily just because, you know, you, you would panic at this sequence. Like, I know I would, but it's just... You, nobody... Like, they're panicking, but it's done in a funny way. It's, it's almost um, more like, no, not again, Raymond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, this whole movie really does make me want to hang out in these neighbourhoods in, like, LA and play basketball. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think I would be even <laughs> worsely treated than Woody Harrelson. I wouldn't be able to stand up to these guys. I'd just be like, oh, don't hurt me. Um, but I would just want to, like, watch. Anyway, but yeah, the, the car scene, like, that, that's often a case with our podcast, isn't it? There's a difference between hearing and listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know which is the better one there. But um, we get a random Trump Tower reference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's just funny watching these like things from the nineties when Donald Trump was n- n- nothing more than a reference of wealth and power. Mm-hmm. Um, who kn- and who Home knew? Alone how- and white man can't jump. <laughs> well, we, one of our third watch episodes recently. There's this episode um, where essentially the cops and the paramedics are stationed to a hotel in New York, where at the time Hillary Clinton was running for the Senate and she was up against Rudolph Giuliani. So this whole episode actually was so relevant today because there's this whole conversation about whether Hillary Clinton could be president or not, <laughs> and then they. Basically basically have a reference to uh, Ivanka Trump. So it's just, it's just this weird reference from 1999 that kind of is so relevant today. So all these old 90s movies and TV shows with Trump references and Clinton references that who knew would be so relevant, you know, nearly 20 years later, or well, more than 20 years later with this film. Um, the, one, the one bit, 
and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here because I guess this is them driving off uh, after they've dropped him off at Trump Towers. Is oh yeah, we'll get I'm, to that one separately. Yeah. Okay, because that's the only line in this whole film which I'm like, why does Woody Harrelson say that? Um, and I don't want to repeat the line because it's not very nice. But um, I know which one you're re- talking about. Yeah, even though I've already called someone retarded on this episode, <laughs> I mean it can exactly go worse for me here. Uh, but I'm <laughs> I'm used to digging myself a hole. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean again, I like I don't know if you know which scenes are and aren't um, ad libbed or not. But uh, yeah, I I can imagine that like this whole scene in the car with the whole listening and hearing sort of sequence would be scripted. But I I I, I would imagine that. Even, and it's not just Harrelson and, and Snipes, just call them by their last names now, Perez as well. Um, you know, it's just, but all three of them, the back and forth. I, I, I would assume that it was kind of loosely scripted and then they were just kind of like work with it yeah. or something. But yeah, I mean, it's, you it's know really well what done. parts are scripted because they're the things that come up over and over again, like looking yeah. good and, and losing versus looking bad and winning, you know, or the you can't listen, you can hear. But yeah, the way that they deliver it just feels so natural. And I, I love, um, I love his uh, line, Wesley Snipes, when he's like "ebony and ivory." As he's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of like that little line. You know, again, it's kind of like we're talking about how you know race isn't really an issue in this movie, but it's just it's 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 like little subtle little ones. It's kind of like Rush Hour, you know, how you have these like little subtle jokes. What is the one when they're like in Chinatown or whatever it is, and it's like, oh, just <laughs> pretend you're a local. That will never work. I'm six foot four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just kind of you're expecting to, to drop the reference, but it never comes. So yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. There's nothing to complain about these scenes. I just the robbery scene is probably my favourite scene in the whole movie, except for that and then the boobs, which we're about to get. To. <laughs> uh, predictable, Ben. Robberies and boobs. <laughs> Your two favourite things. Uh, yeah. Exactly. By the way, that and Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> Synopsis for Pro Stars, starring uh, animated versions of Wayne Gretzky, Bo Jackson, and Michael Jordan. Um, the show centers on Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky fighting crime, helping children, and often protecting the environment as well. Uh, <laughs> so it's, Captain, it's Captain Planet, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. How have we not known this is a thing? Like, <laughs> is, I want to see this. I just remembered it when you were mentioning, like, how would they know Wayne Gretzky? I'm like, Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky did the animated show. I remember seeing did, it. Did they voice the characters as well? No, but they did like live action scenes that they appeared in like the beginning and end of what, episode. Like Wayne Gretzky and Michael Jordan and yeah. Bo Jackson like fought people in real life. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it was more just on camera talking or whatever. But oh, I, I where's the scene of them like stopping the LA riots or something? <laughs> <laughs> or stopping Raymond from another armed robbery. <laughs> Like, everybody in LA is, like, fighting everyone, and all of a sudden, Wayne Gretzky and Michael Jordan, ah, 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 put that bin down, don't you dare burn that trash can. Yeah. <laughs> it only went for 13 episodes? What's wrong oh, with TV oh, executives in the 90s? This should be the greatest thing ever! It, it, it was the greatest thing ever. I remember loving this show and only seeing it a few times, probably, because it was only on for 13 episodes, but... <laughs> we'll cover it. We promise we will. <laughs> I honestly just love when you said the synopsis that I'm reading here. I mean, this to me is like the great... I just want somebody to walk into an executive room and go, I've got this idea. Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky <laughs> fighting crime, helping children, and protecting the environment. Sold. Right, let's go <laughs> That'll be like today. All right, I've got this idea. It's LeBron yeah. James... <laughs> And Sidney Crosby fighting crime, <laughs> helping children, and helping the environment. So done. Tim Tebow. <laughs> Michael Phelps fighting a shark. Oh, wait, they've already done that. Serena Williams giving birth. 
Oh, God. What is wrong with TV people today? Why don't we have great shows? Like This is why the 90s is the best ever decade. Yeah, not just because of White Man Can't Jump, but also because of pro stars. <laughs> ba- baseball, severely under underrated, uh, not underrepresented in this movie, of course, in this TV show. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to Ben's favorite scene here. Uh, Rosie Press straddling Woody Harrelson in a car. This is so funny, especially watching now. Um, obviously, it's meant to be kind of, not an erotic scene, it's kind of meant to be kind of a funny scene leading into the erotic scene after this, which is a lot more graphic than I think I noticed as a kid or as a 19-year-old. <laughs> it's too graphic for it, Colin's innocent yeah, exactly. eye. <laughs> as a 36-year-old Jamie fan. was into it. <laughs> This was offensive to me. More offensive than Ben using the R word. <laughs> this is offensive. Nipples. Disgusting. <laughs> but I will talk briefly without going, because it's a very long story, we'll go through the whole thing. The delivery is funny if you can read the story itself about Rosie Perez doing the nude scene here. But um, first of all, the car scene. <laughs> just There's the one really hilarious line just as they're driving away. Because what she, if you haven't seen the movie, why are you listening to this episode? But... Uh, if you haven't caught, I mean, she's just straddling him as he's driving in a convertible in the middle of L.A. Like, And again, nobody's batting an eye. Um, but he says this line. He goes, uh, honey, this can't be safe. You know I believe in safe sex. <laughs> that line just cracks me up like so hard every single time, even though it's such a bad joke. It, it, kind, of, it kind of reminds you of um, Goldeneye, does it not? It depends on your definition of safe sex. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a reference I, or a line I didn't understand even at the age of 14 when Goldeneye came out. <laughs> Again, you still didn't understand it until yeah. you and Jamie recently watched it. What does that mean, Jamie? Well, you see, Colin, sometimes when couples have sex, they wear a condom or use a gun. <laughs> and sometimes are not buckled up in their seatbelt while driving yeah. and straddling the other. I love how the running joke all of a sudden has become Ben is single and lonely and Colin has no idea about sex. <laughs> And as a child, somehow. <laughs> it, just, it just happened one morning. Like, guess what, Colin? I'm pregnant. But I thought we had to. We did, but you didn't realize. <laughs> she wouldn't even have to. I thought we had to. Really? The stork? You brought it finally? <laughs> I've been praying to stork gods for this. <laughs> so- Move on to the brief story about the, the sex scene. And again, I can't really do it just without reading the whole thing, but she was nervous about this. She had done a movie before with a nude scene and didn't feel comfortable the way it was portrayed. You know, everybody was sort of uh, <laughs> reassuring her, you know, this is not, for one thing, it's not trashy the way they show it. It's literally just like it slips out and it's just part of the whole scene, you know? Um, but she's hiding in the bathroom and not willing to come out. And Woody comes in and just gives like this really impassioned speech. Everybody here has the utmost respect for you and nobody's going to make you do anything that's uncomfortable for you. And she finally walks out of the bathroom and is like, take a look at the jugs on her. <laughs> and then she freaks out. It's like, well, I'm sorry. It's just, they're so big and you're so tiny. <laughs> just totally makes a joke out of it. It's just hilarious. Um, look up the story if you want to read the whole thing. But uh, the scene that follows this is the scene I've been waiting to talk about here. The I'm thirsty scene as they wake up. <laughs> the scene that every guy has gone through. <laughs> and yes. every guy still doesn't understand. This um, is the scene which everybody should watch if they want to understand the differences yeah. between men and women and understanding each other. Yeah, exactly. And and I think this movie deserves more credit for just the way it handles little scenes like this. That movies, I still don't know if I've seen a movie that's explained 
men and women not understanding each other as well as this one scene has. I mean, it's it, the, the dialogue in this is so good. The writing is so good by Ron Shelton. I mean, he's done a lot of other movies. I don't think anything with like the script as smart as this one is. But she says she's thirsty. He gets her a glass of water. And she just stares at him and goes, when I said I was thirsty, I didn't want you to bring me a glass of water. Like the way we're delivering it, we're guys. If, if you haven't watched yeah. this or haven't watched it recently. Two white guys basically trying to discuss sexual yeah. <laughs> uh, things and racial tensions. Like it's, it's great. <laughs> Very diverse here on this show. But, but the way we're delivering this, it sounds like the movie's mocking. It's actually not. Like, the way that she presents it, the way Rosie Perez presents this is not as the woman's a joke. It's more she's presenting the woman's side of it and he's presenting the man's side of it. Where she's like, you know, I want you to sympathize with me. And some of the lines are funny where she's like, I too know what it's like to be thirsty. I too know what it's like to have a dry mouth. <laughs> And again, we're guys delivering this, but I'm sure women watch this like, that's so true, you know? And Woody Harrelson's face sums up every man. Yeah. like, dude, you just asked me for a glass of what the fuck. Yeah, and <laughs> she says she read it in a magazine and she drops the word omnipotent. And I just love the way he looks at Omnipotent? Like, Did you have a bad dream? <laughs> <laughs> and then she keeps going on and on and goes, this is all in the same magazine? Like, it's just <laughs> so confused. I love when she rolls over. Don't give me the rollover. Yeah. <laughs> Every man's experienced the rollover before. <laughs> and then he, he gets his side in where it's like, you know, if somebody, if I say I'm thirsty, someone brings me a glass of water, you know, I thank them. If uh, I'm in a room <laughs> and somebody has water and I'm thirsty, I'll say I love a sip. You know, it's just, it's the perfect interaction. Men and women both explaining their sides. And of course, it results in her giving the rollover, him dumping the water on her and storming out of the room. <laughs> Uh, and he refers to her, I think, as crazy here for like the first of three times in the movie. And she kind of is crazy, but uh, this is guys <laughs> interpreting it. And the Stooky brothers show up, or the Stucci brothers, as they're actually called. <laughs> um, and they just make a quick getaway, which isn't much to talk about there. I mean, it's it's a 90s getaway scene. It's got fun music in it. And uh, they're running with half the bags of what they have in the very next hotel scene, as you pointed out, that I never picked up on until you mentioned it. So thank you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they get away, uh, without their car too, which is the other funny thing. They were, yeah, which they're in later on. So. Yeah. <laughs> and he still has, even after that later on, because when he makes the bet later on, his car's part of the bet. But I also find it funny that they run across a bridge basically and directly into another motel. Like they're down the street. If you're following this real time <laughs> and they're not winded when they get there and nobody's going to be running outright like that, carrying all those bags unless it's like a block and a half away. So these Stooky brothers have probably found them like a minute later, but uh, we'll cap it off there uh, just to talk. This section deserves to be talked about on its own. Ben, tell me your experiences before I tell you my experiences of the thirsty conversation. Oh, well, look, um, before I do, I just want to say one of my favorite lines of this whole situation is just like, you've got this, uh, you know, perfectly described scene between, as you say, between man and woman, the understanding of each other. And I love Gloria's line there when, um, when, uh, Billy said something about, oh, you know, I don't want to make love. I want to screw or something yeah. like that. And the way she's like, oh, Billy, don't be stupid. I hate it when you say screw. I don't, I'd rather you say make love. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it's kind of like, you're expecting her to be like so impassionate and beef, but then she She's just all of a sudden like, I don't like screw, but I like fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And you know I have to point out the nipples here because (laughs) anything that's so good about a movie is added awesomeness when you see nipples. (laughs) There's there's one scene, it's when he gets up and goes to leave 
Um, and this is like it's just one of these random. I'm sure it's probably on the IMDb mistakes because you know they nitpick more than we do. But like she's the way she kind of leans forward. Her shirt is obviously a little bit low, so you see her nipple. <laughs> and then when they cut back to her, they've obviously adjusted her top. Because as she's sitting back, the top is, like, up above the top of her breast. It's here so, in continuity. First thing pointed out in continuity mistakes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's always me looking at the nipples. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason Ben can pick up on this, is that every single shot, he's like, where's the nipple? Where's the nipple? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but like it's kind of it's like one of those scenes though that if you you always go frame by frame because you want to see the nipples, it's kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever? Yeah, I remember like uh, I had another friend when we watched movie. He, this guy was well, he was straight at the time. I think he's gay now. I haven't talked to him in a while. But um, we used Did to you love the scene. Every friend you have gay. <laughs> I, I went to an all-boys school. I had a core group of four guys, and all of them have turned out gay except for me. So, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so um, that's another story. Uh, that goes a lot of my taste, clearly. But we used to always watch in slow-mo the scene in The Mummy Returns when Rachel Wise fights, uh, was it a Nux and a Moon or oh, whatever yeah. her name is? And there's that bit where they, like, flip over each other, and we'd always go frame by frame to see if we could see anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will my ads on the same. <laughs> yeah, but then I think if you listen to the director's commentary, they're like, don't worry, folks, we've gone through that frame by frame. You can't see anything um but anyway that's kind of like dr no when uh you know you not yeah it is dr no isn't it when they're going through that machine and you try and see uh ursula andress's lady parts anyway yeah. we're getting sidetracked <laughs> um <laughs> lady parts what um I, I, <laughs> that's a colin reference don't say, don't say screw <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's colin talking about a vagina i should just be saying vagina um <laughs> I do like it when they jump out of the window and then Woody Harrelson has to grab his basketball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and You'll I also, never get one of those. <laughs> I, re- I really do love the shot, though. Like, you're talking about running, running the bridge. I love that shot, though, when kind of you've got the yeah. bridge at the top of the screen and you've got the highway underneath. Uh, and one thing also I want to point out, the soundtrack, which we'll, I guess we'll talk about throughout this, but it's fantastic. So 90s, but it's great. Like, the soundtrack, I want to own the soundtrack to this movie. It's fantastic. Um, your question, what about my experiences with this? Oh God, how long have we got? We went for five hours. Um, look, I will say I was, I was very lucky when I was in my, uh, eight year relationship with Louise to kind of, I guess, be with a girl who I would generally say I lucked into pretty much not having a lot of things like this. I mean, there were a few occasions, but, um, for the most part, she was pretty much say what she meant and you would never have to deal with this. However, my five-month thing that happened afterwards, which has led to a lot of my hatred of the French. Um, and she wasn't French, by the way, just to point that out. Um, she went on to show her love of them. But um, I had more complications in that five months in terms of trying to understand than I have in my entire life. So, yeah, again, this sequence sums up women so well. No offence, women. We love you. Well, I do. I'm not gay. Um, but- <laughs> I'm <laughs> still single here. Clearly, there's a reason why. <laughs> uh, I mean, my experience with this is funny because uh, it's very similar for me. Like, Jamie is not the typical girl and that she does stuff like this. In fact, we kind of joke most of the time is that she comes across more like a guy in our relationship than I do. You know, uh, <laughs> she's just a gay one now. <laughs> she's always having to be reminded when our anniversary is. <laughs> She's never remembered once. <laughs> but, when, is it? when is your anniversary? November 17th. Oh, look at you straight. Didn't even have to think about that one. That's that's a man there, ladies. And you think I'm the catch because I'm and single. Colin's the catch. Here's the funny thing. Jamie was born on like the 17th of another month, and she's always said 17 is a lucky number, and she kind of picked 
November 17th so that she wouldn't forget it. And lo and behold, within the last five years, she's almost forgotten it every single year. <laughs> and you know, the funniest thing is to tie in with the uh, connection to this podcast, because I'm very good at remembering birthdays. November 17th is the birthday of my friend who I said we used to quote uh, Titanic quotes with. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> the one who just makes himself at home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yet I have had conversations like this with Jamie. And the thing that makes the most sense to me in this scene as a guy is not her having this conversation. When I come to you with a problem, I don't want you to solve the problem. It's the fact that she says I read it in a magazine and then brings it up. Because <laughs> I swear, Jamie will have no complaints about anything. She'll come to me with, oh, I hate this and I have this problem, I have this problem. And I'll be like, okay, well, I'll, this is what you have to do to fix it. Or I'll fix it, right? And oh, thank you. But if she ever reads a magazine or hears somebody else say something like this about men are always trying to solve problems, guaranteed for the next two weeks, it's like, when I come to you with a problem, I don't want you to solve my problem. And I brought that up to her today, and she kind of just laughed it off because she knows it's true. 90%... I follow her on Instagram. I see what she posts. <laughs> 90% of the time, she does not care if you solve a problem. But if she just read in a magazine, she's going to bring up this conversation. She, too, will want me to say, I know what it's like to have a dry mouth. <laughs> you, just need to, you just need to make sure she's reading better magazines, I think. Like, buy a Playboy or Penthouse or something like that. I don't know. Something oh, with Rosie oh, hang on, Just to back up on that, Colin. Playboy and Penthouse are magazines <laughs> that show naked women. There's such things that exist, all right? You get to see boobies in them. Um, and just for the record, Ben has changed his profile pic from Wesley Snipes and Women Can't Jump to the pro stars of Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan. <laughs> this is seriously my new favorite thing. As soon as we finish You're this, I'm looking this shit up. Yes, please. there's only 13 episodes of it. I could do this all day. Like, binge it. Yeah, we'll do the we'll do a whole season just in one shot. Yeah. Um, next group of scenes here. Uh, quick scene with Sydney house shopping. We haven't talked much about Sydney. The scenes with him and his wife—they're really good scenes, but. This is more setting up plot. It's not like the scenes with Billy and Gloria, which, you know, have a lot more depth to them. Um, and I think his wife's great in the movie. And it's funny that they originally wanted uh, Halle Berry for this role. And um, I think Ange- Angela Bassett was the other one. And uh, there's a funny story, an interview I found this year that, uh, or just this past day that took place within the past year, where they interviewed like a lot of the cast members and the actress that played Wesley Snipes' wife in this, Tyra Farrell. Uh, she told this story, you know, with Ron Shelton even responding to it about how when they were casting this movie, she knew who she was up against. And, you know, there are let's let's be honest. I mean, I'm not a fan of Halle Berry, but if you can get Halle Berry, you get Halle Berry. And what Tyra Farrell did is she made this pitch uh, to the casting directors uh, during the casting of this movie and said, you know, I know you guys are probably going to go in a different direction. But just coming from a black woman, uh, I can tell you when we watch movies we always will see a black man in a movie and whoever he's with, if it's a black woman, she's always a very light skinned black woman that makes a more identifiable white audiences. It's like what women like me want to see in movies. We want to see a dark skinned black woman finally with a black man. It was, it's just you, it's not something a white person would ever think about, but she made this pitch and they're like, you know what? Maybe there is a different audience we can get. And I think she works in this movie. It's not something I would notice, but I just like that. She brought this extra perspective of what she wanted to bring to this character and maybe what she kind of knew about uh, this, uh, this, this type of woman that, you know, would be married to Wesley Snipes. And uh, I, I don't think Halle Berry would have worked in this movie. I'm not saying, I don't know if I've even seen Tower Farrell or anything else, but I think she does a good job in this movie still with the limited role she has. How, how known was Halle Berry? Wasn't her first film role Flintstones, which came out in what, like 94? Uh, so. No, I mean, she had been in, which Spike Lee movie was it that she was in? I, I know that she had. Yeah, that one that was set in New York with black people in it. Yeah. <laughs> he got game. Uh, 
No, uh, <laughs> she was in Jungle Fever at this point. She'd been in the last Boy Scout, or last Boy Scout had come, I guess. No, that was the same year. So this and the last Boy Scout, Boomerang with Eddie Murphy came out the same year. So I guess she had just Why, started... why did I think that Flintstones was the first movie role? I it's the know. first one you saw as a kid, probably. I don't think you would watch Boomerang or the last Boy Scout or Jungle Fever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think my parents like lined me up with some VHS. And, <laughs> ben, I want you to watch the career of Spike Lee uh, over the following weekend. Yeah, uh, but I don't know if you have anything else to add. We're not going to talk that much. Maybe we'll talk about it again in a later scene. But uh, this house shopping thing, we're not going to do this as a whole scene. I have more to talk about, but um, it, it's just uh, setting up his story, which I have an interesting question for you later on on who the hero of this movie is. But this leads into the third game that they have, which is where... Ben and everybody else get surprised, and this is where the movie works really well, is that it does hustle the audience, because I don't think anybody watching this is going to expect Sidney to hustle him at this point. And that's what this is all about. There's reasons why this almost plays like a bit of a plot hole, um, just for the fact that he's... Billy is just arriving. He's not there. They're not putting on a show for Billy. He's coming off the train now wearing a Jimi Hendrix shirt, which is something that took me probably a decade (laughs) to pick up on, too. Um, And... They make this $1,700 bet. So this is like a huge bet now, not $500, not $62. And the guy, Robert, who's, uh, we find out later on, a friend of Sidney's that he's doing this with, is, we find out a few scenes later, in on this con now on Woody. But if he is, why, when Woody's not even there yet, does he have to go to his girlfriend to get her fake diamond that even Wesley's like, this isn't a real diamond, but I'll accept it anyway. It's like, who are they putting on the show for if they're all involved in this? I don't understand. Yeah. I didn't think about that, actually. That's a good point. Oh, there you go. Here I am bringing up, bringing up plot holes in my favorite <laughs> movie. Sorry about that. <laughs> but um, it's still a great scene because it, it happens so subtly. You know, you're really behind this con they're doing, and it's fun to watch them do it. As, again, they pick out the white guy coming off of the train. And uh, you also do have to wonder, this is where coincidence does come in. Was he too late? And if this was a real con... Yeah, that's 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 the one that I kind of was like, well, that's very yeah. coincidental because you know he just happened to be walking down the point as that conversation is happening. Yeah, but I mean, like when you know that they're all in it, on it, you can explain it away, I guess. But it's still it's still kind of questionable. I, I I kind of I guess my excuse here is would be it's more for the audience's benefit in mm-hmm. terms of it's. I mean, it's it's the Rose argument from Titanic. How does she know what's happening with Fabrizio and Jack and Sven? You know, like without that, the audience wouldn't have a clue. So, I mean, yeah, the only way it's there, because I think kind of my shock and like, I'm jumping ahead here because I'll I'll let you finish kind of going on this scene um, is kind of, even as a way this was playing out, I still didn't believe that he conned him, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when Gloria is going on about it. So I, I, yeah, I I guess it's there for the audience's benefit. And if you are a podcast 25 years later, analyzing the plot hole here, it's not going to make sense, but you know, 11 year old Canadian boys watching this in 1992, (laughs) uh, just going to buy it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and 25 and 36 (laughs) gets me every time. Um, But yeah, I do have to wonder why Robert here has to get the diamond. And it is funny the way he approaches it. This is, again, a very guy thing to do. It's like, boy, you're looking so good today. And it's like, what's up? It's like, nothing's up. I need your diamond, by the way. (laughs) And the other girl, boy, he playing you. I told you. (laughs) I told you from day one he's no good. Yeah, it's great. Um, But their bets, like for a lot of money, uh, again, why if they don't have the right amount of money, does he accept this? Who knows? But uh, there's a great line when they're handing off the money, and I just love the look on the face when he, the guy tries to take the money, and then I can't remember who it was puts him like a chokehold, and this guy just like freaks out, and his eyes bug out of his head. 
So <laughs> the fat guy there takes it, and of course Wesley gets the line. And he's, like, I'll take, I'll watch the money. I'm not going anywhere. Like, of course he ain't going nowhere. The bakery ain't open yet. It's <laughs> <was> like. <laughs> This has got you. Got to take shots of people's mamas and fat people and white people. Everybody's open in this movie for insults. We get my favorite yeah. song of this whole soundtrack. Come out and play uh, by the OJ's. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the OJ's at all. Uh, yeah, I have heard of them, and I'm sure if I type them in right now, I could find a song or two. But I, I, I yeah, I, I know who they are. But I probably like, you know, not they're not on my iPod. But no. <laughs> I mean, they might be. Uh, yeah, let me just have uh, a look. Uh, you keep talking, well, you, I'll tell you if they are. <laughs> the most famous song they're known for, which I don't know if most people know that the OJs did this, is you know the the song Money, 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 which is like oh, the okay. theme song. Well, I have it. That's, yeah, okay, there we go. Click, 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 ding, ding, Donald Trump reference again, I guess, with The Apprentice. <laughs> yeah, lots of Trump in this. <laughs> <laughs> More Trump. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this song, Come Out and Play, I mentioned to you, like you were talking about like, we both said, you know, we love the soundtrack, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I could just picture you, like, cruising around the basketball courts in 2017 Winnipeg, and I, I went out, like, at 5 in the morning for a run this morning, and I said, I put this song on specifically, so I'm running around Winnipeg at 5 in the morning, and I was like, can you come out and play? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great song, people. Uh, but the game, it, it goes slowly wrong. It's not like it, they hit the first few shots and then it's every once in a while Sydney's missing something. And the way these basketball montages are done is also clever because you're you're seeing the entire game, but you're only seeing like the, the shots made and shots missed. It's not like you're sitting there for 15 minutes. It's well edited. And it's just very subtle the way they play that something's off with his game and they lose. And, you know, they kind of have this, it's almost a heartbreaking scene. Like maybe this is, where the guy in me can have a bit of a heart and almost want to cry in a movie because the way that Billy is playing this off, you know, like it's not your fault, Sydney, even though he should be blame, blaming him. And, uh, you know, obviously when Sydney's saying, you know, uh, hey, can I give you a ride home? And he's like, no. It's like, I got to figure out a way to tell Gloria that I lost all our money again. And I got to figure out where I'm going to sleep tonight. And he's not saying it the way that Woody Harrelson delivers that important because that line could read like, uh, like he's doing a guilt trip on us. Like oh, I'm going to figure out where I'm going to sleep tonight. By the way, do you have a couch? You know, but that's not <laughs> the way it is. And the way that Sydney responds to him, like I was watching today and I almost had a tear come to my eye was Billy. I'm sorry. Cause I know how this story is ending. And it almost seems more heartbreaking when you realize that he is playing with that point and he kind of has a heart and he's like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. But you're not clued in as a first time viewer. Yeah. I so mean, that- I, I obviously didn't know. So yeah, like I can, I thinking back to that scene, yeah. um, it almost brings me to a Jack and Rose on a floating door moment. <laughs> Not quite. This was the 1992 guys version of Jack and Rose. <laughs> Die. Come back, come back, Billy. <laughs> um, I want to cover the next scene with the wives and everything separately, so we'll we'll cap it there for now um, on this the third game, and I guess the swerve not knowing at this point that it's a swerve on the audience of this hustle or what were you thinking at this point where the story was going to go look i i wasn't anticipating them to even lose i just kind of thought this was going to be the standard oh yeah just building up their reputation Until the tournament, right? and i thought the tournament was going to close the movie out and they're going to come up against these two i don't know ex-nba players michael jordan might show up i don't fucking know like <laughs> um you know uh with wayne gretzky and bo jackson, <laughs> bo jackson, <yeah>. jackson. um <laughs> occasionally save the environment yeah, exactly. <laughs> Planting a tree at the end and uh, high-fiving to white men can't jump at the end of the movie. Um, but yeah, like I wasn't even expecting them to lose, let alone that this was a, a hustle, you know what I mean? So, um, 
Yeah, I, I had no idea. So I kind of think that, you know, it's it's more of like an audience blindside the way it's set up and kind of, as I said, like when we get to the lead up to the wife scene, you know, even Gloria basically saying, oh, he hustled you, man. It's like, no, he didn't. I, I trust him. I mean, that's kind of like my thing here. I mean, I don't want to take away from the great bromance this movie has because it's amazing and, you know, I, I'm not going to be critical of it, but it's kind of like, it's almost like the, the Jack and Rose argument. You guys just met. Um, yeah. You know, why are you so in love? Like... Billy, you just met him. You met him hustling him. So it's like, yeah, why do you trust him so quickly? I mean, I guess we all have those people we meet and straight away we form, well, a, you know, a it's kinship. A team, it's a teammate thing too. I mean, he kind of says that, like, teammates yeah. don't do this to each other. And and they're hustling probably the law or whatever they say, like yeah. the code mm-hmm. um, with it. So I think it's great for, like, again, the audience perspective, um, you know, when it leads up to that. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of – it's interesting how – you know, it goes out and you just kind of do think of it as like, oh, you know, he's just having an off day because, I mean, it happens to everyone. We obviously have more off days than not here on the Oz Network because most of our episodes are shit. But every now and then we produce a good episode like this one that you're yes. listening to right now. Thank you for listening, audience, both of you, Catherine Shedmeister. Um, but, yeah, I, I I think it's just it's well set up. And the one, one funny line, I don't have it here quote by quote, but when they're all talking about like... Um, there's this is a line when he says they're both connected to the dick bone. Like, what does he say? Like, your leg is there, and oh, your knee is there. It's like, yeah, but they're both connected oh, to the yeah. dick bone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a weird line. Just the way he says it. And I do like the fact that, like, again, we know it's kind of a setup and everything, and, you know, we're going to give it a bit of uh, leeway for how it doesn't make sense. But the way they're just like, oh, you can pick anyone. Oh, what about that white boy getting off the train? Like, I mean, if that's like a white businessman who's getting off, you know, it's going to randomly force some white man getting off the well, train to play. What if, like, Billy was legitimately going off to study or something like that? If he's a he grandma. wouldn't be holding a basketball and a towel and a gym bag if he was. He could have just gone to the gym and stopped by the nearest <laughs> footlocker to buy a basketball for his dying grandma because she's a big fan <laughs> of the sport and wanted to own a basketball. Um, I don't know, but yeah, look, I I'm trying to be mean here. And just quickly again, we talk a lot about the soundtrack more, but uh, I've looked at the track listing here. It's fantastic. And like, what is it about 90s basketball movies with great soundtracks? I mean, Space Jam is one of the all-time greatest movie soundtracks. So, you know, White Man Can't Jump as well. I mean, the, the soundtrack for Eddie in the Air up there isn't exactly sterling. Um, but <laughs> two downsides against those great basketball movies, but... um. Yeah, I mean, Aretha Franklin, uh, Queen Latifah, Boys like to songs, Men. Yeah, like, there's songs that don't make it on. You're like James Brown, you know? Yeah. I didn't realize Queen Latifah was a thing in the early 90s. I mean, Boys to Men, you couldn't get any bigger than them in the early 90s. Anyway, yes. Uh, <laughs> one other thing I wanted to mention here is that the guy who plays Robert, who uh, we're going to see in the next scene, uh, and of course we find out later on he's the security guard who kind of sets up the Jeopardy thing. The actor is Silk Cozart. Uh First of all, when I saw The Matrix, I assumed the guy that plays Tank was this guy, and it took me years to realize they were different people. But they have a bit of a similarity, I think. But this actor, Sil Kozart, the, the role he... This is where I was talking about the why. After that incident happened with the guy, you know, shooting or taking out his gun from the glove box, and Ron Shelton decided to move his basketball into the why, that's where he was, where he kind of mentioned... Uh, you know, oh, I'm doing this movie about street basketball, and all the guys he was playing with had no idea he was even a filmmaker and that he'd made this massive movie prior to this. Silk Cozart was one of the guys that he played basketball with, and he, Ron Shelton kind of developed this role for him with him in mind. He was like the inspiration for Sydney and wanted him to play Sydney, and for whatever reason, they decided they wanted to go with Wesley Snipes instead, maybe because even though he wasn't a big name, he had a little bit more name value or 
they kind of switch it around and then still Cozart into playing this role, which is another fun role. I mean, it's not a huge role in the movie, but you get a guy that can actually play basketball in here that can act as well. You know, most of this movie is made up of either basketball players or actors that they're, you know, trained to play basketball. Here's a guy that can do both. Um, but, uh, the, the, the whole swerve and, and what comes with this, his character has, this is when I will say kind of unintentionally funny moment. And I'm interested to see if you found the same humor in it when we get to the next scene here. But I just thought it was cool that, like, to think we talked about could Denzel play this? Could you have seen Silk Kozar, the guy that plays Robert, the security guard in this, as Sidney Dean? Because I could kind of see it. Yeah, I could. I don't want to, though. Um, because, you <laughs> yeah. know, Wesley Snipes is awesome. But yeah, I could see it. I mean, he, I didn't realize that, um, you know, he had sort of that background you were mentioning. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would, I, I could see it. But again, it's kind of one of these ones where it's like, you know, I could see Johnny Depp as Jack in Titanic, but I don't want to. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's one of these ones where, I mean, there are definitely roles in film where you see the who could have been list and there are a lot of times you see people like, yeah, I could see that. Like, you know, that would make the same sense. But like, there are times where you're like, well, I can see it, but I don't want to, if you know what I mean. And I think this is kind of fits mm-hmm. into that category. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm interested to talk about the scene later because it, it made me laugh a couple of times. But he gets back and he is telling Gloria that he lost all the money again. Uh, the first thing he says, did Jeopardy call? And I'm really asking myself, they don't have a phone. And yeah, they're in a hotel, but does she just phone them every single time they change a hotel? Yeah. Like every week, the Stooky Brothers are, this is Gloria Clementine again. I've moved to another motel. Uh, it's in a worse area. They don't have <laughs> but, cell phones, so it's kind of yeah. like, yeah. How are they calling her? I don't know. Um, there's the first mention of her, you know, getting quizzed on the foods that start with Q, which would become a big thing later on. Um, what I found was most funny about this, there, there's several moments in this movie where one character doesn't get it and another character gets it. And this is the first of those moments where even you said as the audience, you don't think this. And even when Gloria says you got hustled, she gets it right away. As soon as he, he's like, okay, were you not playing well? I was like, no, I was doing well. And, you know, Sydney was playing okay. You know, he missed a couple of shots and, uh, uh, he wasn't taking others, and she's like, all right, you got hustled. Like, she knows immediately, yeah. and yeah. he doesn't. And I was just like you. I didn't expect it at all. And even when he shows up at his house, it's not until you see those other guys on the couch where are like, oh, he he went there. <laughs> How yeah. could you, Sidney Dean? Yeah. But it's it just – Billy is – there's little subtle things that Woody Harrelson does in this movie to make Billy more humble and more relatable, and that is kind of the everyman quality you said he has because – on paper, Billy is not a likable character at all no. uh, and would have been even less likable if they had gone the Holly Hunter route and Gloria was this rich white girl that he lured away with all of his sleazy dealings and his hustling and gambling you know, problems and all that. But he's the real screw up of this movie, too. Like He's a big screw up, but you like him because of the way he responds in scenes like this. Um, she basically immediately just storms out of there and says, I'm going to get our money back. And it just becomes about an hour of him following her around the city saying, don't you get on that bus. Okay, don't get off this bus. No, don't walk in the building. <laughs> Once again, relatable men and women scene right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they get into another great conversation. This is the one where, you know, as a guy, you still do relate to it. But this is where her character probably makes a bit more sense, you know, where he's saying, you know, when you win, you win. When you lose, you lose. But what you don't do is you don't ask for your money back. And she gives this little bit of speech that comes up later on. It's like, sometimes when you win, you actually lose. And sometimes when you lose, you actually win. And sometimes when you win or lose, you actually tie and all that. <laughs> I'm so confused with that bit. Sometimes <laughs> if you tie, you actually win. I'm like, what? Yeah. What? And it, Am I watching even, The Matrix? <laughs> even when it, it's mentioned later on, like it's confusing, but it's still, it's a smart way that they, they played into the movie and it comes up later on. 
Um, I love when he gets on the bus. There's a lot of little bits of dialogue that happen in the background, and you really have to pay attention. Like when he gets on the bus, he says, they don't let white people in Crenshaw. I don't know about Puerto Ricans, but this is kind of like a reverse discrimination thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it, but it's true probably too. Like there are these yeah. neighborhoods where you're a white person. Even Sydney said that earlier on. It's like, you know, uh, don't let yourself be caught on this side of whatever, you know, past sundown. Um, this is like a real thing. And apparently one of the trivia things I learned about this was that they filmed in these real areas and they kind of had to go in there. Like it, it was, it was very hairy situations a lot of the time. And they had to kind of negotiate to be allowed to film here because it was a, a dangerous situation. Like some of these neighborhoods, what you're seeing on the street, I mean, these are the real people and what they're talking about. Like was the, I didn't understand as a kid the whole apartment thing. I'm like, it looks like a nice apartment, but it's not about the apartment. It's about the area, you know, and this was yeah. real areas that they decided to film in just to make it authentic. Uh, when they show up at the house, I just love the, the, the look Gloria has on her face. There's another, if, if a woman gets angry, <laughs> she's got that look and she's probably chewing oh, gum yeah. at the same time too. <laughs> oh yeah. And the way that she says, it's like, is Sydney Dean here? And you know the response the wife has, like, yes, he is. I'm his wife. Like, she figures this is some girl that Sydney has on the side that's showing up. But, of course, that's not what it is. When she, pull, she has to pull Billy into view. That's the guy thing. Like, I'm just going to hide back here. Oh, she pulled me. They can see me now. What do I do? Just wave, you know? <laughs> it's so awkward. Um, so Gloria comes in, and she has the conversation with uh, Snipe's wife. And uh, Woody's in there, and you, you see the guy there. And this is the thing that... that kept making me laugh and it's another these subtle things in the background but robert you know the guy that he hustled him with they're having these conversations where it's like you know we're partners you don't do this to each other and snipes is having his comeback and robert's just sitting laughing and all of a sudden goes i'm cleaning my gun <laughs> it's just like the most unusual line that has no context and later on when they're all in each other's faces he says again it's like i'm sitting here cleaning my gun <laughs> it's like he keeps bringing up i've got a gun here anybody notice <laughs> but I think it plays weird until you find out he's a security guard because you're led to believe that Sydney shouldn't be in this area. He's a nice guy. He's not involved in all this. And then he's got this guy, you know, uh, his wife and his baby and this guy cleaning a gun on the couch. It plays very differently not knowing this guy's a security guard, which makes Sydney seem different. And I don't think they did enough of a job later on to establish, oh, there's a reason why. Like, I don't know. It's, yeah. It doesn't make Sydney look like the best guy in the world, but he's probably not supposed to be at this point. That's the other thing. Um, I like how I like how they're just there and um you know kind of this guy thing about like they're fighting yelling at each other but because he's blocking the TV and it's sport and even yeah, Woody Harrelson's exactly. like oh yeah sorry guys I can't shouldn't block the game yeah, but as soon like, as oh. the women come in get out of the way it's like no we're gonna listen to our women it's okay it, it's <laughs> another one of those really subtle funny things that they're in each other's faces and you know. Billy and Sydney are about to come to blows, and Robert's there, literally dropping the line, saying, "I got a gun in my hands." <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it's like, don't get in the way of basketball. Okay, yep, right, you're right, yeah. <laughs> and then they they all see something on the basketball game, and they're flipping out, and they're high fiving each other, and then it cuts away to them, and then it's Gloria and uh, what is the wife's name? I should know this. Um, uh, Rhonda. Rhonda. Yeah. So Gloria and Rhonda are talking. You get a bit of Billy's backstory here, which I was like in movies when a character doesn't have to tell their own backstory. Where you realize this whole Stuckey Brothers thing is actually his fault because they bought this car. Uh, they said, well, if you don't want to pay for the car, you can work off the debt and throw a basketball game. Billy didn't want to do it. You know, he has a hot head. You kind of get this. And Rhonda sort of plays up, your, your boyfriend is the problem here. And uh, he's like, oh, he's just bad with money. You know, she's in denial here, obviously. So they come to this agreement. When they step back in the other room, this is what's so funny is the last time we saw them, they're in each other's faces. They're ready to shoot each other. 
Uh, they see some in the basketball game. And now Woody's literally sitting on the ch- floor eating chips with them. <laughs> just like, oh, everything's all right. That's a guy thing to do. That's how yeah. guys fight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, I have lots of experience with that, uh, you know, with my, yeah, my, with, my I got a my gun in my friends. hand. So I'm cleaning my gun. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's a, the, the way that they sort of come in and they come to this agreement that uh, – They'll play in the tournament together still, you know, and that some of them are going to be given back, but they have to win the tournament and work together. And this is another thing, like, just uh, this is the way that I think uh, this isn't like a man and woman thing, like husband and wife, but this is the way my mom was. Like, if you got into a fight with a kid at school, whether it was a physical fight or anything, you know, it's sort of like the moms come together and say, well, your son did this. And it was like, oh, but that's not the way it went. And they'll just have coffee and talk it out. And they'll come up. All right, you boys are going to shake hands now. Like, I've gone through this a couple of times in my life. Have you, have you ever gone through a situation? Was your mom a Rhonda? Was your mom a Gloria? <laughs> no. Well, she wasn't really either of them. I mean, I, I didn't really have situations where I got into those sort of things because I was a little wimpy kid. Um, I mean, like, <laughs> like... I, 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 you know, I don't really have that situation. Like, my mum would obviously talk to my friends' mums, but it was never a case of, you know, little Johnny down the street was picking on Ben. If if little Johnny down the street was picking on Ben, my mum too would be like, oh, it's all right, Ben. <laughs> It'll be okay. And we would just sit down She's talk like, and... pick on you too if I were him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you suck, Ben. You suck. Uh, no, she would just, like, sit down and cook me noodles and would eat noodles and spend time together. I mean, that was kind of our uh, relationship. It wasn't more so I, the other way. My I dad would be the one who would do it. It wouldn't be my mum. But uh, oh, okay. I didn't really have anyone, I guess, growing up. I mean, um, yeah. No, not that I can remember. <laughs> my mom would go to the schools like this. Like, my mom was a, a Gloria-type hothead where she had a hothead, but she could be diplomatic. And if there was a problem at school, like, even with teachers, she'd go in there and like, you're not going to do this. And she'd be wagging her finger on their face and everything. So no, that was my dad. My dad would be that person who did that. And he did do that, I remember, in high school at one point, which was uh, quite an interesting time for me. But, uh, yeah, no, it was um, that was more my dad than my mom. My mom and I would just talk and cry about shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, she was so there you go <laughs> uh, and, and here's another one a little surprise of the movie like you expect this is going to be um the climax as you said the tournament and it just jumps in the tournament probably now two-thirds of the way through the movie um and i just love here's the only other other than woody and uh the alex trebek later on the only other white man that speaks in the movie is the host of the tournament uh <laughs> two on two uh, Brotherhood for Basketball Tournament, otherwise known as the TTBBT. <laughs> the famous acronym that caught on all over Los Angeles. It was a massive wimp because as soon as there's a, yeah. a fight break, you let's get out of here! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The rich white guys come in and it's like, oh, let's get out of here before anybody gets hurt. Um, but the way they introduce the tournament's cool because they're walking past and you're seeing all the original characters. You're seeing Kadima Hardis in there. You're seeing... Uh, you know, Robert cleaning his gun while dribbling with the other hand. <laughs> uh, and he's like, oh, we don't have to worry about these guys. These guys are no good. And he said, these guys we have to worry about. New characters introduced. Uh, Flight and Willie. And uh, I recognize the one guy here, Dwayne Martin, who, of course, went on to do uh, a lot of things. Was in another basketball movie uh, that I loved uh, called Above the Rim. I don't know if you ever saw that one. No. All right. Well, I saw Below the Rim. It was better. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Dwayne Martin, I mean, he he's one of these guys who's appeared in a lot of movies, a lot of different sitcoms and everything. So um, he was the shorter player of the, the other well, championship It's interesting team. you say that's, I mean, I'll get to the other guy, uh, Nigel Miguel, who uh, he's in the air up there as kind of, oh. one of the, the main characters. So, yeah, that's who I noticed. Yeah, I was wondering when you mentioned the air up there connection, but Dwayne Martin, you know, because he's one of the more recognizable actors in this, not at the time, but for everything he's done since this, uh, just one of these actors, you recognize him, you don't know what he's from. You know, I assumed he was an actor, but I didn't realize this is one of the pro basketball players they put in there. Like he briefly was signed to the New York Knicks before doing this movie. And he was sort of cast in this way man can't jump just because he knew how to play basketball too. And he was authentic. And now he's, you know, probably at least as successful as Wesley Snipes circa 2017. Well, I mean, but- <laughs> he's one of the stars of Real Husbands of Hollywood, uh, <laughs> as I'm looking here, that he's been in. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he also went on to be in a movie, um, I guess, based on one of the worst runners-up in Survivor history called Woo, even though that was released in 1998, <laughs> about uh, a good 20 years before Woo, well, 10 years, Ben, do your maths correctly. I'm not Colin in Day of the Dead or whatever the hell that was. <laughs> it is. Anyway, been shut me up. Years since White Man Can't Jump dropped to our screens. Uh, but yeah, Flight and Willie are kind of fun characters. I love all the trash talk stuff. Like this movie is probably most well known now for being kind of a trash talk movie. And it is so good in this movie. But this is sort of the whole gimmick of the tournament. The tournament doesn't even end up being about will they beat them or won't they beat them. It's more uh, Woody or Billy coming up with uh, this strategy where he wants to make the other players angry. It's like, most guys don't play well with their angry, and he even has the thing where he says to Sydney, he goes, well, you're embarrassing me. It's like, well, that's the other thing I'm doing, because unlike these guys, I think you play better when you're mad. And this is kind of strategy, and I, I like just these hustlers. There's, there's this repertoire they have and all these different skills, like a very special set of skills that these basketball players have, where... Even little things like this, mind games. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the movie Basketball before. And you oh, realize, fuck yeah, love yeah. basketball. And it's a parody, but the whole idea of trash-talking while playing makes sense in sports. And it should almost be incorporated into the rules, and that's kind of what he does here. Um, I love some of the lines he has, like when he's just trashing Flight and Willie here, where he says, yeah, you got that Z in your fro. What are you, the Black Zorro? <laughs> <laughs> And then the great moment where one of the other white guys, I guess, they're, they're trying to get the, the teams all have different jerseys. And uh, he says, okay, black ball. And he goes, black ball? What do you mean black ball? He goes, I'm talking about the ball. It's like, not your, I'm talking about the jersey, not the race. <laughs> this guy's a very stiff white guy. I'm not speaking racially, sir. <laughs> um, the uh, thing just goes on where every single team, he's trash-talking them, throwing them off. Uh, Sydney eventually loses it with them. And he, he just tries to walk away and say, I'm not listening to you. Like, uh, like, You're not listening to me, but are you hearing me? There's <laughs> a second mention we have of that. Yeah. Uh, some of my favorite lines in here, including one which may be the worst insult he ever gave, but it kind of has this strange appeal just by being a bad insult because everybody has an awful moment. He goes, I looked up basketball player in the dictionary and it said, not you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a me insult. That's something that yeah. I would say. <laughs> um, and... It, there's the, the argument they have here. One of the only times race is mentioned here, and I don't even know what Billy is ranting about, and I don't connect it to race in any way, but somehow Sydney does. And, uh, you know, he's basically saying, I can hear Jimmy and everything. And uh, Sydney says, this is not about black and white. This is about money. This is about greed. And that's when he goes off and says, I can hear Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> he gets really upset about that whole Jimmy thing. Uh, championship match happens. Obviously, they win. For something that... I think everybody assumed was going to be the climax. Oh, they're going to play in this tournament together. 
is just blink and you miss it. It's still really effective to watch it because it's handled differently than all the other cons they've done. Um, and that even when they win, they're still arguing. Like, they win the tournament. You guys got $5,000. Congratulations. As you said, the, the white guy's on. let's get out of here. <laughs> I hope this doesn't get worse. <laughs> what is One of them says, like, stop this or we'll lose our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Uh, yeah, and I caught the same one. I, like, I hope this doesn't get worse. Uh, and then they're arguing, which, again, one of the other things that I love about this is that arguments will happen, and it's about something that they're not even saying. Like, when they were arguing, and Sydney picks up on that there's something about race that Billy's mentioning, uh, but he doesn't pick up on it. And even when they're arguing at the end of this, it's not until the next scene that I realize it's about the fact that he didn't dunk. And that kind of sets up the whole third act of the movie here. So we'll save the whole bet for the other one. Uh, but uh, this whole tournament play here, uh, you have to like this stuff. I mean, this is a lot of fun. My, my favorite part is the bit when they get there and they're talking about, you know, this tournament and it's organized by the, uh, what is it, Ameri- the Coalition of American Corporations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not like presented by AT&T and Nike. It's just yeah. the Coalition of American Corporations. Could they be any more vague? The Association <laughs> of Businesses and Companies. Yes. <laughs> yes. I just love that. Um, but yeah, just back to the, obviously the the wife versus wife, um, Ronda versus Gloria. I mean, you know, I, again, that was just, it. Just threw me. I had no idea that this was the thing. I'm like, oh, okay, that that's effective. Um, and I do, I do like the Ronda Gloria conversation that they have. You know, like as you said, like when she answers the door, she's kind of got that look about like, bitch, be stealing my man. Um, (laughs) but you know, it's obviously not. And yeah, like even like you were saying about the whole, oh, don't go to this neighborhood. You know, white people aren't seen in this neighborhood. And again, that kind of goes back to what we're saying about how like, yeah, there are subtle little things here about race. But, you know, I mean, this could have been then turned into a bunch of, you know, angry people in this neighborhood chasing after Woody Harrison because he's white and don't show your face here because you're, you know what I mean? But like, it just, it's just thrown away as a reference. Like, don't come here after dark. Oh, okay, well, I'm here now. He just Shit, accepts it as, like, he yeah. accepts it as a reality. He lives in this world and he's okay with it, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, it's fine. Like, it's, it's not a huge deal out of it. Um, yeah, I love, I just love Woody Harrison's track, trash talking. You said all the good ones there. What was the one when he said about, like, um, Oh, you know, I need you to get your mother and sister out of my house immediately, or something <laughs> like that. Just like, you know, it's just, just so funny. Um, and yeah, like, um, it's interesting. I, I didn't recognize the guy that you're talking about, Dwayne Martin. But yeah, I, I for sure straight away as soon as I saw uh, Nigel Miguel, I'm like, hey, that's the dude from there up there. He's like the brother of um, Saleh, who's like the guy who Kevin Bacon goes to Africa to recruit. Um, and again, like similar to what you were saying about um, Dwayne Martin, I mean, Nigel McGill was actually uh, an NBA player. He um, played for the New Jersey Nets and kind of went out because I think he was injured. And then he basically went on to be, you know, this actor guy. And then he actually was um, a technical advisor for Space Jam. Uh, and apparently, I'm reading here, played Michael Jordan's body double Oh. Uh, for like seven years. I mean, Wait. what else did Michael Jordan do that required a body double? Um, Air Jordan did, commercials? Possibly. I mean, <laughs> wasn't Michael Jordan good enough to do his own thing? Hold on like, a second. Michael Jordan acted in one movie in his life where he played himself as a basketball player and he needed a stunt <laughs> double for that? <laughs> exactly. Apparently, Michael Jordan wasn't really that good. Um, but apparently, according to um, Nigel McGill's um, filmography, he was in American History X. He was in Elizabethtown. I mean, that Elizabeth- iconic... Right, the iconic Orlando Bloom. 
<laughs> MJ movie that, um, you know, it's really side story. I was talking about my, uh, my best friend before we used to go around to our houses all the time, the, the girl, not the gay guy. Um, and she's like obsessed with Orlando Bloom and I just could not stand Orlando Bloom, cry baby little bitch. Um, oh. but apparently Kirsten Dunst, um, Natalie Portman was originally cast in Elizabeth Town, but it, she turned it down or couldn't do it in the end. So Kirsten Dunst took her role. I remember I'm so happy used to, that. Well, I used to always remember saying, like, could you imagine that movie growing up, Kelly? Like, you know, that would have been your love with my love. We would have just been obsessed with that movie. And I'm this glad is, it didn't happen because Natalie Portman should not touch Orlando Bloom. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to say this is not Elizabeth Town podcast, nor do I want it to be because I don't like Elizabeth Town. But that's probably <laughs> the one movie where I'm like, Kirsten Dunst steals this whole movie. So I'm happy it was her and not Natalie Portman because Natalie Portman would have ruined it. Not even Jumanji? <laughs> no, not Jumanji. <laughs> which, let's be honest, that's probably the one movie where I weirdly had a crush on Kirsten Dunst in, um, which, you know... At least like a, you saw a, it in 1995. <laughs> of course I did. I mean, it was a ch- children's... No, I just saw it the other day and was madly in love with this 13-year-old girl. Oh, my God, how hot she was. Um, that's why I like It's weird whenever I watch Harriet the Spy, because I was so in love with Michelle Trachtenberg in that movie, and she's one year older than me, but in that movie she plays like an 11-year-old. So <laughs> getting sidetracked on Ben's weird, creepy love. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting, like you were saying, about how this should people would assume this would be the climax. I would assume this would be the climax, and I guess I'm going to have more... Like This is where I'm not a huge fan of where the movie goes from this point, just in terms of the storyline. Really? Uh, I just don't necessarily like how it goes. I feel this should be the ending um, oh. because I, I guess kind of, like as you were saying, this is a, I guess, a street talk, you know, movie and a hustle movie more so than a basketball movie. But to me, I'm kind of getting to this point. At this point, it still is a basketball movie and kind of from this point on, to me, it it's not a, it's not a bad basketball anymore. It's just, it's kind of, it's just got a weird, it's not that I don't like it. It's just, I feel it kind of, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily fit in terms of the whole feel of the movie. So, um, and that's where I'm going to start getting some criticisms on poor old Gloria, even though I love her. And yeah, it's interesting what you're saying about like Billy and kind of, you know, on paper, he's a bit of a douche. On You know, he's like, yeah. a lot of the stuff that happens to him, he's only got himself to blame. So it's kind of like, he's not like one of these, you know, down on his like characters where you're like, oh, poor thing, you know, he just needs a break. I mean, in all honesty, everything that happens to him in this movie, it's his own fault. Um, and really, Sydney's kind of the only stable character in this whole film. Yeah. Like, I mean, he he doesn't have anything really bad going for him. I mean, he's he's honest about hustling, and that's a weird thing to say. But, like, even, you know, outside of his basketball, he's at least going out and getting jobs, unlike mm. fucking Woody Harrelson. Um, you know, when he's trying to obviously make a, a nice life for his, his wife and the invisible baby that pops up every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's forget that, you know, Sydney's actually a father. Uh, and there's, I mean, there's only one scene in this whole movie where kind of he gets down on his luck, which I get, I again, again, I think kind of is tacked on a little bit and it's a bit weird, but it, we'll get to that scene. But um, yeah, I mean, all of this I, I love. I mean, the the it's kind of even just like this whole tournament. Like, I even had to write down here in my notes, like, is this the final? Like, when they're playing up against, um, you know, Dwight the Flight Miller, McGee yeah. and Willie, I'm kind of like, wait a minute, we're at the final already? Like, this is kind of... I was expecting a long build-up, you know, watching them battle out against each other before we get to the final. So, it was kind of strange how that kind of there. But, um, yeah, I mean, nothing else... To me, it's only from here that I didn't necessarily become a huge fan of what was happening at the end. But um, 
I was just thinking of note on basketball, which is just such a great sports parody movie. Yeah. Like it's got one of my favorite um, scenes in all of, of sports movies, just the way they take the piss out of it when they're trying to explain the playoffs. And they're all like, and now we have Miami playing New York. And of course the winner of this will go into the third pool where they'll have to play a game of tic-tac-toe to decide who will then become the fifth seed to play up against New Jersey. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just the way that they just have such straight face. Or and the... The sponsorship, like, Maxi Pad Stadium. Yes. <laughs> and all the parodies of all, like, you have the Texas Outlaws and what's the San Francisco Ferries. And then, like, the, the bit there at the beginning where they're explaining just about how bad, like, franchises have become, about how they move. Like, the Lake, the Lakers moved to Los Angeles where there are no lakes. And then just, like, the one scene where you've got that athlete holding up the jersey. He's like, I'm so proud to be playing for the great city of San Diego. It's something like whispers in his ear. I mean Texas. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, anyway, just getting sidetracked. Baseball Oz coming soon, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I, there's nothing to complain uh, about. These scenes are great. I'm I'm going to completely disagree with you because I think this movie, and I can understand where you would be coming from with this because it, if you're looking at this as a basketball movie, and I think you know the movie kind of sets itself up as a basketball movie. You get that, but maybe it's because I've seen it so many times. I don't really see this as a basketball movie. I see it as a movie that has basketball as part of the story. If you pay attention to the movie, the basketball scenes are so brief. There's a reason why I have like no notes on it, and we're just sort of saying, "Oh, and here's the other game," and then this is the scene that followed it. Because the basketball scenes are just sort of, if you add up all the basketball in this movie, it's probably less than ten minutes. Uh, if it's over ten minutes, it's barely over ten minutes in a two-hour movie. But up until now, the basketball scenes have just come every 10 minutes or so. So you, you are kind of following it like it's a sports story. But I love everything that's going to happen from this point on. And I think it, it really becomes more about, you know, these characters are failures or how do you get out of, you know, this trouble and the gambling and all that. And, you know, when is it important to do this? When is it not? I, I love all this stuff. I mean, especially the next scene coming up here, which... And I will agree with you, even as a kid, I it's not that I assumed the movie was going to end here, because I knew how long it was, <laughs> but um, when they're driving away, and you know, the first thing he says, you know, is, I, I can jam it. And then, uh, first of all, I just love Sydney's response. It's like the most awkward okay ever. It's like, I can jam it, you know. Okay. <laughs> like, just doesn't even want to say anything. Like, I'm not going to get it in those. But he just goes on about it. He's like, just because I don't dunk doesn't mean I can't. And he's going to, I would rather win first than look good second or whatever. Like, so many times that comes up in this movie. And it is true. There's a lot of people who, who kind of play like that, not even just professional players, even just people you know who, you know, they'd rather be the one who looks cool by doing behind-the-back passes, as he kind of criticizes Sydney for. Um, but Billy is a screw-up, and we've had this well-established. You don't really expect he's going to go this far. He has $2,500, I guess, at this point, uh, $5,000 prize split between the two of them. And he's saying, you know, uh, pull over and I will dunk. Uh, just give me three tries. That's what they do. They pull over. They make this bet. Sydney doesn't want to do it. And this is where Sydney is, takes a turn. Because I think the movie sets him up not as the villain. But between these two guys, you kind of believe Billy's the hero at this point. Because he has more to work for. You don't know why, other than Sydney's wife wants a house. You don't think he has anything that he needs. He's just a guy in on this whole game and he's not a bad guy uh but he obviously yeah billy hustled him first but he didn't do it in a personal way sydney did in a personal way so here where he's trying to talk him out of it you're like we well, probably is the better guy but eventually you know everybody has a breaking point he's like fine let's just do it um 
there's still funny moments in here, even though it's probably the saddest scene in the movie next to, you know, Billy crying and the, the Jack and Rose scene of 1992, <laughs> we mentioned earlier, um, where he misses the first time and then, you know, uh, he's complaining it's not a regulation height, so he uh, uh, tests it for him. And then next time he's like, okay, I'll give you a hand here. And he basically gets his hands cupped together. It's like, let me give you a boost on the way up. And then the third time it's like, I can't let you go out there like this. And he starts pumping up his shoes. Remember pumps on the shoes? <laughs> oh, God. Didn't we? I, I never had them at all. I wanted was a pair of them, but yeah, uh, yeah I never owned a pair. Yeah, I, I owned one. I don't think they're like authentic, and I don't remember doing anything. But it's just funny. He's like, I can't go out like this, Billy. <laughs> um, but of course, Billy misses all three tries, as you probably knew he would, and Sydney just walks away with it. Uh, so he gets back to the hotel, and uh, uh, oh, first I just want to quickly comment on him dunking. Um, no, I'll save that for the end. There's another bit of trivia on Woody being able to dunk. Not what's on film, but just something else that happened. Apparently, there were a lot of bets. Like, this whole betting thing really took over the crew. On the set, there was a ton of, like, crew members betting, cast members, cast members betting each other. Like, everybody was making bets all the time on everything. So, something about this movie really caught on with the people, and they kind of lived their characters out throughout this. And there's a really funny one that involves Woody Harrelson later on. Um, but... When he goes back to the hotel room, you know, obviously we have Sydney celebrating with his wife. They're happy because they now have the full $5,000. They can, you know, get out of the Vista View apartments or Trump Towers or whatever it is. <laughs> and um, Billy comes back and he's all sad. And Gloria sees the, the, what do you call that thing? The big metal. <laughs> I feel like Homer Simpson with thing used for digging and eating. What is it called? Uh, trophy. A full? <laughs> No, not the Homer Simpson one. The Billy's one. The tournament, the tournament medal thing. Trophy. Trophy. I just forgot it for a second time, and I said it like five. The seconds. Stanley Cup. <laughs> I. These for digging. These for digging. <laughs> no, that you know the Simpsons episode where Homer went through like the subliminal verbal vocabulary thing, and he was able to use like these big words. And then when they took those tapes away, it's like, where's that? eating utensil used for digging and eating. It's like, you beat a spoon? <laughs> but I forgot the word trophy there, so there's the episode. I, I really want to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame with you in Toronto yeah. when we go to the Stanley Cup room. Look at that giant thing used for digging! <laughs> uh, mind, you, mind you, let's be honest, Colin, I've just got to say this. You are a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, so you yeah. don't know what a trophy is. So. Hey. Oh, snap! Let's say oh. it again. The Leafs won the Stanley Cup in 67. There are many teams introduced in 68 that have never won. Um, I just had to have a little dig at you there. Come on. Not to mention the New York Rangers and Chicago Blackhawks both had streaks longer than the Maple Leafs have right now without the Stanley Cup. Anyways. Col Colin's anyway. got that playback ready to go. People are so used to dissing him about his Maple Leafs fans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, but you know, they haven't won that before that long. It's... <laughs> I do research every time somebody comes up with a criticism like this is completely off topic but like the Leafs have been without a captain for a year and a half now and I have a nephew who's always like when are they ever going to get a captain they need a captain and I did research to find I was like the Chicago Blackhawks went for half of a decade without a captain in the 80s and they did fine and, and we all know that the Toronto Maple Leafs actually did win the Stanley Cup in 2008 I mean I saw the love guru when they won the Stanley Cup so <laughs> You're the one who saw the Love Guru. <laughs> I actually like the Love Guru. Oh. I'm the one who likes. I'm looking at it now. It's got a 14% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I gave 14%? it 14%. I like the Love Guru. Oh, I've got some fun stories to tell you off the air on how to manipulate voting on stuff. It's got, uh, it's got Stephen Colbert in it. I mean, not Stephen Colbert. Um, John Oliver. I'm thinking of the wrong uh, TV host. It's got a random John Oliver acting role in it. I mean, come on. 
And yeah, that's all right. Let's talk about Riska Hagatay. <laughs> um, okay, so when he gets back, you know, she's ready to jump him again and whip out her nipple, and Ben's waiting for it. <laughs> that doesn't happen because he just sort of suddenly. I, it's so funny the way he does this, where he kind of mumbles, "I lost the money again," and then he goes in for like the deepest hug ever. <laughs> Like, like he's expecting her to go, there, there, Billis. I lost the money again. Big hug! <laughs> We've all done that. We've all come on. Yeah, exactly. And then she's like, <laughs> you want to run that by me one more time? And he's kind of like, oh, I kind of lost the money. Um, she freaks out on him. She has this line. when he, he brings her back a dress. And there's a funny story on this dress because she wears this when she shows up on Jeopardy later on. And uh, Ron Shelton had picked this dress for her to wear in the Jeopardy scene. And when he presented it to her, Rosie Perez apparently said, I don't want to wear that hoochie mama dress, uh, which I had no idea what hoochie mama went, meant, which is kind of like yeah, is a clever way of saying a hoe, right? And yeah. she used that word, and he's like, what does that mean? And she explained it to him. So he had her use it here in this scene where she refers to, you buy me some hoochie mama dress. <laughs> <laughs> um, she just sort of storms out, you know. He gives another line as she's trying to hitchhike. He's like, it's all right. Just go on. She's crazy. <laughs> he calls her crazy like three or four times in this movie. That's something that she's going to storm on me for. Never call a woman crazy. Um, there's a fire on the carpet. Uh, he's like, yeah, you wait right there. I'll be right back. Like, there's no way she's going to be there when he's coming back. Uh, I like the guy in the car, the creepy guy yeah, in the car. Yeah. He's like, what does he say? Like, get in, in, sweetheart, or something like that. Come on and have a seat, sweetheart. <laughs> That's the third white guy in this movie who has a line. Yeah, fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah we have the uh, announcer at the game, Alex Trebek, and the rapist in the car. And uh, I mean, I'm glad you said the rapist in the car and didn't lump that in with Alex Trebek. That would have been a bit yeah. creepy. <laughs> um, so the Stookies show up again here, and uh, they have Billy held hostage. Um, they are going through, I guess, a bit of the backstory here about him losing the money to them in the first place where you realize this wasn't Gloria's fault because she, it's kind of set up as like, well, she bought a car, you know, and then Billy lost his cool. But he's like, Billy, it was a lock. Why did you throw that game? And he says, the guy said I couldn't score. And this is all very subtle setting up, you know, how he loses this money or how he had just lost it even to Sydney right here. Um, and they basically give him one week and they show him the pictures of all the dead bodies, which are going to come up later. So, uh, you said that this movie took a turn. I, I still think this is great stuff, and I think the story's going in an interesting direction. And it's still unpredictable as far as I'm concerned. Look, it's not that I don't enjoy the scenes. I mean, I think every, it's not from this moment like I hate it. I just think it just takes a weird turn in the fact that we kind of have this, what I would assume would be the climax of winning the basketball tournament to all of a sudden he basically pisses that money away in two seconds, which I know it's kind of his character. But like even the way that's done, I, I kind of had to go back and watch it again. I'm like, hang on, did he just bet the money? Like, I was like, what? He just lost. And the funny thing is, it's like, why does Sydney just let him get away with giving the money? Like, surely you should be like, no, man, it's okay. Like, you know, don't really give me the money. Yeah. Like, bit of a well, dick move there by Sydney. Come on. But I remember, again, they already didn't want to be in this tournament together. So even them in the tournament, and he was, you know, annoying them the entire time. He probably, it's not like they're friends here at this point. But, I, I mean, I get that too. But then just the way this movie closes, where it's kind of, it's ultimately about yeah. this friendship between the two is what is the saving grace and it's kind of like 
you know, Billy's going to lose Gloria completely. It's kind of like, if you want a happy ending, you're kind of going to expect from this point on that it's it's the rekindling of Gloria and Billy. But that's where it's kind of, it's, I don't know, to me it's just kind of all over the shop in how this ends because it's it throws so many red herrings your way. Like, this point here where oh. Gloria leaves, you're expecting, okay, well, now the conclusion is going to be about how he's going to win her back and then they're going to all live happily ever after, which happens, but then he loses her again. And it's like, mm. huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Fine, um, and that's like where I had like just little things to me, which again I know why they're doing it, and I I gladly listen to you defending it because it's it's kind of I'm sure it's done there for reasons why you like it, but I just I just felt this part of the movie was kind of okay, so this is happening, this happening, even the Stooky brothers, how we kind of get from this point on with their storyline here, we kind of see them as real badasses, you know, shoving the gun down his pants and like mm-hmm. oh you know give us some money, and then all of a sudden it's kind of just a bit of a joke at the end. It's like yeah. oh. Okay, I know it's just to me it's just a bit strange. And again, it's not saying I don't like. I'm not hating it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, these scenes are still like the whole dunk bit, and we get the the what the trailer line: "White men can't White jump." And scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, even even before I watched this movie, I watched the trailer on YouTube, and I will say the trailer was quite confusing in the fact that it looked entertaining to watch, but I didn't really get from the trailer what this movie was about. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, I guess it. And I, again, I'm not taking a diss on this film because you could categorize this film into so many different things. It's a hustle movie. It's a basketball movie. It's a weird romance. You know what I mean? Like, it's a bromance. Like, there's so many categories. This, this is not just flat out, you know, basketball movie, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, but I, I do like, I like it when they're trying to dunk. And what is Woody Harrison? Like, is that shit regulation? <laughs> <laughs> um, and with and then ease, we- Wesley can just jump up and grab it. Yeah, and I do love all the, um, like you were mentioning before about how, like, uh, what's Woody Harrelson's line there when he's saying, like, you know, white men want to win first and look good second, yeah, black men want to look, look good, good first and win second. Um, and, like, what the hell is with Woody Harrelson's dolphin t-shirt? Can we just point out? <laughs> all Did of you notice that? Yeah. But, I mean, like, you know, I like the parental, you know, guidance advisory advisory shirt and the the Jimmy Hendrix. Like, they're cool shirts. Like, and they're kind of these retro shirts that have come back into fashion now. But, like, that fucking dolphin shirt? Like, that's, (laughs) like, something I wouldn't even wear to bed. Like, that was cool in 1992. I mean, God. He's the kid who had a sweater with a big bird knitted on it that you get beat up for (laughs) in the second grade. (laughs) It's like, you know, here's the weirdest reference we've ever had in a movie, no doubt. You know in Bridget Jones' Diary when it's kind of made a joke about Colin Firth's, like, reindeer jumper? Um, (laughs) Like, that's Woody Harrelson wearing one of them. Um... Yeah, I, I actually, it was interesting when the fight between Gloria and Billy and, like, she shoves the table down. I'm, first thing I've written down, she's like, what about the candles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you know, that does play into it. But, like, my thing here with Gloria, and I'm going to just have to say this, which kind of shits me about her character. It's just that, like, yeah, I kind of get their relationship and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, oh, it's this notion that she's going to wait for Jeopardy and we get the payoff with her getting on Jeopardy. But, like, why is she complaining all the time about the money does she do anything to get a job in this movie? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, let's let's talk about the two wives here, or wife and girlfriend. Yeah, Rhonda spends the entire movie begging for a job, and they really exactly. need exactly. Yeah, she could be out there studying while working at the Seven Eleven. I mean, there's tons exactly. of things she's yeah. doing. And I mean, this is the thing that shits me off about her character. It's like, like, okay, great, she's smart and she shows that off with Jeopardy, but like. What if they never met? Security guard who gets her onto the set. Yeah. It's kind of like, and at the end of the day, like 
does she? Do we even know that she knows she only got on because of basically this weird connection? Oh, I she we has ever... no idea. Because exactly. there is a scene later on. Now I'll talk about it later on where she. Well, I'll just talk about it now in case I forget. Where she's like, even after she had been on there, she's like, Billy, you thought they were never going to call, but they called me, and he was like, well, I got to admit, I was wrong. You know, she she honestly has no clue. Yeah, and it's kind of it's interesting. Like going back to what you're saying, like they move so many times, and how do they get this phone call that you know <laughs> keep yeah. calling up uh, CBS or whoever does Jeopardy? Like, are you going to put me on this week? Are you going to put me on this week? So, like at the end of the day, Gloria is a mooch, yeah. and she just does nothing to like like. Okay, I understand it's frustrating that Billy keeps doing stupid things to lose the money. Understandable, but at the same time, it's like, bitch, get off your ass and get yourself a job. <laughs> <laughs> 1992, not 1952. Women were allowed to work in 1992. Just ask Rhonda uh, where to get a job. She's got a few Exactly. Weeks. You become besties with Rhonda. Like, you just I mean, start your own street. Like, no, no doubt, let's be honest, the White Men Can't Jump uh, remake is going to be called White Women Can't Jump because it's going to be a women all women remake. That's the trend in 2017. So this could be Rhonda and Gloria teaming up to uh, hustle, you know, the WNBA players on the streets of, um, of Los Angeles. The only other thing I could say, and it's maybe they're... I mean, there's a director's cut. I've seen it like once or twice, but I don't think there's anything in there that explains this. But there is this kind of weird subplot where she drinks a lot and Billy's always trying to get her to stop. So maybe it's there's... It's shown stuff- a bit, isn't it? There's like yeah. a tiny bit where you see her drinking the vodka. Yeah, and, and he's always... He'll find the bottles and she's like, well, come on, Billy, give me a bit of a break, you know? Uh, but... Um, I don't know, maybe that was intended to be a bigger thing. Maybe they intended to show her more that she's a bit of a screw-up too, you know, or this was just a last-minute way of rewriting the character because the character was supposed to be the rich white girl who followed him, and he screwed yeah. her up. And then this is just a result of that, well, I can't get a job, you know, because she has her own problems. But I kind of like it better. I get what you're saying completely, but I kind of like the Gloria character better that, you know, her problems are so not even an issue in the movie that, you know, it, it is sort of like she, she knows what she's doing. She gets who Billy is. She gets what everybody else is. And she ends up having her success. You know, she had one goal and she's working towards. And I guess it's the same as Billy. Billy's like, I can be the best basketball hustler. And he's working towards that. And I guess at the end of the day, too, like, I mean, you talk about how Woody Harrison's basically the only white guy in this movie. There's only two females in this movie, too. And I mean, like... You know, I, I mean, don't want to be these characters for the most part. Yeah, well, that's yeah, but like, I don't want to be the person who's you know <laughs> feminist. Ben, um, <laughs> <laughs> here we go again. I'm burning my bra. Um, but I mean, like, you know, you analyze the the female characters; they're not exactly the strongest in terms of independent women type of things. They have, rely heavily on their men. But I'm not complaining about that because I mean, I guess y- this isn't a movie that needs to show that, if you know what I mean. And it's kind of. It's it's interesting kind of looking at it. And, like, I mean, Rhonda's just kind of non Even the sex scene we get here between Wesley Snipes and Tyra Farrell is just non-existent. There's no, you know, Rhonda nipples here. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what I'm going with that. Just well, somehow. just one thing I want to say, like, as far as, like, independent... I mean, it all depends on your perspective. You know, Gloria, it almost comes across, like, the way you're explaining it, that she does rely on Billy because, you know, he, he doesn't have a job either. But, you know, he's the one working towards building this money. But it's sort of slowly revealed throughout the movie, you know, whereas you're led to believe at the beginning that this was kind of her doing and he messed up and cleaning it up. It really was just his mistake. Like, these guys aren't saying, well, you should have paid us for that car. They're like, Billy, why did you mess up? The- do you know how much we lost on that game? And yeah. when she leaves him to deal with it, it really is just sort of his problem. And she kind of goes off. And the only assistance he really gives True. her later on is getting her on the game show, which is to come. But, I mean, everything else she does, I think that she's a good, really good example of, like, uh, her own independent character. 
I look. Oh, yeah, I know. Backtrack. I agree with that because I guess kind of her whole storyline builds up to the fact that at the end of the day, she ultimately discovers she doesn't need Billy to survive, and, and he's sort of the rollerblades in her Walkman. So yeah, <laughs> he needs her. That this whole movie is kind of about the fact that he needs her, and she doesn't need him. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. True. I'll, I'll re- you know, just like I've said the R word in this episode, I'll go back in my. Uh, attempted feminist rant then <laughs> just stick stick to being a chauvinist apparently um yeah i don't really have much more to add because anything that i've written here i feel i'm jumping ahead so uh yes. we'll jump into the next bit which is how billy wins gloria back uh which starts again very oddly and i never understood this is sydney's driving up to meet with this guy for this uh negotiation or whatever for a const- he had mentioned earlier it's like i got a painting job i got the cable thing i got the construction thing I mean, as a kid, I never understood what this was he was talking about. Like, does he just have all these jobs? Like, does he work, like, three jobs a day or something? What it really is, is he sort of is like an under-the-table jack-of-all-trades. And, you know, this scene where he meets with a guy, he even says, like, you know, I can go through the city or I can, you know, be the middleman. I can not use the city. I can use the city. I can do whatever you want. He's like, I'll, I'll work under the table and I'll take the shortcuts you need me to take to save you some money. But it's just when he shows up at this negotiation, there's all these people swarming his car. And I don't understand why. And it's almost like the Godfather. Like, is it this big of a deal in Crenshaw to have a guy that he's got $5,000 now and everybody's at his feet. And he has a Godfather moment later on where he imitates Don Corleone. But I just don't understand everybody swarming his car here. Like, what are they trying to get from him? It's um, all the uh, tax creditors trying to find uh, the money that Wesley Snipes owes. <laughs> it's taken us this long to bring... Well, twice in this episode so far. Uh, yeah. I literally did write that down, by the way. I wasn't just like... I was literally going to bring that up. I, 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 honestly, I have no fucking idea. And I've just literally written, why are these people there? And I've written Wesley Snipes tax credits. Um, but... Um, yeah, the, he's kind of meeting about this job, and then Billy comes up begging, you know, I need your help. And this is the other thing I like just about how you said kind of a bromance. It's it's sort of a buddy comedy, even though it's not a comedy. It's different. No real movie had had male characters like this before, where it's really just about the two of them, and it not be just a flat-out comedy. You had movies like Lethal Weapon or 48 Hours prior to this, and this is something completely different. They just basically, you know, conned each other for the first half of this movie, and now Billy has legitimately lost everything. And Sydney has the money that would get him Gloria back. But he isn't coming. He's like begging for him. It's like, you got to help me get him back. He should be angry at Sydney still. But they just sort of, this is a guy thing. They're like, yeah, whatever. You got my $5,000. Can you do me another favor? Uh, he wants to get her on the game show. Or this was Sydney's idea. Billy just says, help me get her back. Because if he's like, you're the epitome of men who understand women here. Which I guess he is in <laughs> Billy's eyes. Or he's his only friend in the West Coast. Because uh, he spent all of his other time in New York. But yeah. Um, Wesley has this one Wesley <laughs> Sydney has this line where he says there's a tiny little bit of me that actually kind of likes you and he takes him to Robert who's cleaning his gun for his work shift <laughs> um, and uh, you find out that he works on the game show a lot which he kind of springs this on Billy where he's like that's genius Sydney uh he has his all- it just happens to be the game show lot where Jeopardy's like it's it's not like the Price is Right lot or fucking I don't know what it's another but he says in, game show he does say in the movie he's like do they still film you know that game show or Jeopardy or whatever on your lot and he goes all the game shows are filmed on my lot so I guess there's multiples there which is how he knows to go for him true it's the um the the game show studios game show there city. in Burbank California <laughs> game show cities of culture city um 
so yeah, it's it's basically gets her on Jeopardy. There's another. There's a lot of little bets in this movie. Uh, he has to just hit a hook shot, but he's got to hit it on the other side of the court. He gets in one shot. I just want to quickly talk about these shots because it is Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson in these. And I don't want to be one of these people who claims like they got so good that they could just roll the camera. Apparently, a lot of these ones, like the free throws they had to start the movie with their first $62 bet, they would roll these cameras for hours. And they're like, are we going to get behind schedule because we're just waiting for them to hit one? Yeah, I could imagine that's one of yeah. those ones that I would always assume that it was not done on the first take. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a famous shot in Alien, weird movie to bring up, but Alien Resurrection, where Sigourney Weaver throws a basketball walking away behind her head and sinks it backwards. And it was literally just, well, they shot it until she could get it because they didn't want to do CGI. Well, that was like when we did Spider-Man and we talked about the scene when he catches all the food on the tray, yeah. which was legitimately done. It took them like about 170 takes, but yeah. I mean, they finally got it. <laughs> and, and I mean, this is a low budget movie, 1992. And yeah. there, there is a funny story about that they were behind and as the betting had gone on so far on the set that Ron Shelton had one of the executives saying, you know, you're like uh, uh, behind or you're, you're costing us $15,000 because you're like a day and a half off schedule and he basically said you know if i can make this shot which is kind of like this scene if i could make this hook shot you give me the extra fifteen thousand dollars and if i don't i'll make up the time so like that's the kind of stuff that was going on on set here um but he makes the hook shot and it is woody harrelson making it. so even if it took him 90 takes it's still cool he could do it because i probably couldn't do that in 90 takes um, i could do it in uh, 89 <laughs> you're just one better than me right yeah um so we get to Jeopardy now with the iconic Canadian hero, um, Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> the second most famous man in Canada, Alex Trebek, which the thing I was, this is a Canadian perspective. The thing I was appreciate about Alex Trebek is that Alex Trebek still appears on like Canadian TV. Um, I remember growing up, there's, uh, you probably have them too, those like infomercials that's like, uh, donate $5 and you know, 20 kids in Africa can eat today. Um, Alex Trebek would film those for like Canadian charities all the time. Uh, and another thing you're talking about, like the Jeopardy craze. I mean, I know it's huge in America and this is an American game show, you know, it's hosted by a Canadian, but it's an American game show. But here in Canada, I don't know if it, during the nineties it was because of Alex Trebek or whatever else it was just the time slot. I remember you're looking on TV ratings and when you go to TV ratings, you expect to see like, you know, in the nineties, it was like friends and, ER or NYPD Blue or Cheers or whatever else. But for years, Jeopardy was like a top 10 primetime ranked show. Like this was one of the biggest shows in the entire country. It's not even just, oh, it's good on daytime TV. Like primetime TV, Jeopardy was bringing in more viewers than Third Watch, at least. <laughs> Many other shows Aww. as well. But that's how yeah, big it is hurts. here. So it's, it's funny that you like don't get it there. I mean, I would watch the show all the time, even if I knew none of the answers. It's, I, but it's- yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's a weird one because, again, I looked up sort of the history of it in Australia, and there was definitely an Australian version at some point in our history. Uh, but I, it wasn't when I was. I think it might have been in the eighties, just before I was born or something. But yeah, it's kind of. I mean, I. I remember, when, I think, the very first time I went to America and it was on TV. I'm like, oh, my God, this is that show that's always in movies and shit. Um, and I remember music. Just, just not understanding it. Like, it was always um, Groundhog Day, the one that I would always, like, not understand when, like, Bill Murray's sitting there going, what are the Finger Lakes? Lake Titicaca. It's like, well, like, what is this game? Like, they're answering with the, the question. It's stupid. In the form of a question. Yeah, anyway. But, like, I, this is why I would fail at Jeopardy because I would just, like answer the question like no you because you fail don't you if you don't answer it in question form right? yeah yeah so anyway. yeah 
like, or, or if you get the wrong answer, like, um, you know, who's the all-time leading scorer in the NBA, and you answer Babe Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, who is um, Babe Ruth? That's what you've got to say. Right? <laughs> yeah, who is Babe Ruth? Uh, another funny thing here, uh, first of all, I just like little subtle funny moment here as they're introduced to them. And first of all, the Gloria, she, this is how unaccomplished, this goes along with what you're saying. This is how unaccomplished she is in her life. They could introduce her as anything. They're like, former disco queen. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, how old is she? This is 1992. Disco was like, what, 1970? So let's say 15 years earlier. Like, there's no way she's over 30. Was she a disco queen at 13? Clearly. Or is I mean, this like clearly a role that was written for Holly Hunter at an older age? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I Clearly, disco queen at 13. Who isn't? Yeah. <laughs> ben was at 13. <laughs> and at 30 or whatever. <laughs> um, but... The fact that as they're introduced, then Billy just starts randomly clapping for her when nobody else is clapping. It just sort of like peters out like, yeah, oh, I'm not supposed to clap. Yet. Um, when she answers wrong, this is a trivia question. This was how even Alex Trebek improvised on the set. When they say, you know, this volcano uh, caused Pompeii to be destroyed. And even I'm watching this like Mount Vesuvius, you know, and she answers, what is Mount Vesuvius? That was legitimately a, a mistake she made, where she mispronounced it Mount Suvius instead of Vesuvius, and Alex Trebek kind of rolled with it on set because they filmed this on the real Jeopardy set with like a real Jeopardy audience. So like, okay, let's do a break in between episodes here. We're gonna do this film for a movie, and Alex Trebek rolled with it and was like, "Ooh, uh, let me get the ruling from the judges on that." And the the judges legitimately like Ron Shelton filmed the judges as they legitimately like kind of played along with it. It's like, yeah, we'd accept that. So. This actually is the way they would have handled the mistake on Jeopardy. He got a real judge ruling kind of as a joke, and they kept it in the movie. Mm. And you wouldn't expect that, but it's, it's, I didn't even realize that until I read that this past uh, afternoon. Um, so she, other than Babe Ruth, she gets every question right here, including foods that start with the letter Q comes up, which became a real Jeopardy category like 10 years later. Uh, and they even mentioned White Man Can't Jump in the episode when that happened. I didn't see it, but... It'll be second on my list after watching Pro Stars tonight. <laughs> um, so she wins like a ton of money here. Uh, there's looks of the guys like, what is going on here? How does she know all this stuff? Uh, and she finishes with something like $14,000. Uh, Billy tries to get into her room afterwards. There's a really snotty uh, PA there. It's like, I said she doesn't want to see you. <laughs> she's like the most random person. Like, we're talking about there's no white people or women in this movie besides that. She's just yeah. like the most obscure white woman who's just like, doesn't want to see I said she doesn't want to see you! And just storms <laughs> Yeah. Who and of she? course, Sydney knows. <laughs> we need to know. This is, is her name Trudy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Sven? <laughs> um, but... Billy gets in the back door, and here's another one of those really subtle things that's only funny if you really pay attention. When Billy comes in and he sings her a song, and it's a very nice-sounding song, and I like the full version that plays after he finishes singing, because she only lets him get through, like, three lines, and then she jumps him, because that's just the kind of girl Gloria is. Her nipple's out within 30 <laughs> seconds. He even mentioned that early in the movie. It's like, I'd sing her a song, and then she'd take me back. Uh, but the lyrics of the song is something like, yeah, I'll, I'll never bring your water when you're thirsty. <laughs> and then the second line is what gets me because he says, I understand dry mouthedness. <laughs> <laughs> is dry mouthedness a word? It is now. All but the kids not, the said it in 1992. Played... Yeah, this was up there with Chump as the, the good street slang of 1992. Um, it's not played as a joke, which is one of the reasons I think it's funny. And this whole movie, other than the trash talk, 
the funny moments aren't played as jokes, and I think that just helps it to feel like a natural movie. Uh, she jumps them. Um, they go back to the hotel and everything. We'll leave the hotel room scene. That's kind of, I guess, grouped in with the climax here. So uh, I guess the uh, the deal to get her on the lot, um, the introduction of Robert not cleaning his gun for a change, <laughs> and the Jeopardy stuff. And uh, tell me that you liked Jeopardy when you finally watched it. When I kind of understood it, it was okay. Um, I mean, I like Alex Trebek. Tell me you like Alex Trebek, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'll get to him in a second. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Anyway, uh, the basketball. This what it says. <laughs> the shot when he's on the court and he makes that long shot. Um, just because I'm a flags nerd, uh, that's the Ghana flag on the backboard. If you didn't want to know what that flag was, well, he said, "Yeah, you're not shooting for Ghana. You're shooting for the sedan." Yeah, well, I didn't see that bit. You weren't paying attention. No, but <laughs> I knew that as soon as I saw it, I didn't need him to say it. Um, yeah. Fun with flags with Ben Waterworth. I fucking love flags. Leave him alone. I am Sheldon Cooper in that aspect. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I love it when he's putting on his, like, when he says he's a security guard. In order for you to believe it, you need to see him putting on the security guard's shirt. Otherwise, you wouldn't believe it. Um, but yeah, I, I like the whole Jeopardy sequence there and, you know, just how... I love those two guys on either side of her. That one guy just the other guy, Do you believe this? It's like, shut up! Leave her alone! Of course I believe it. She's very smart. And uh, I love also, like, the foods that begin with Q. We got a quiche reference! Noah and I would have lost yes. our shit there. I want quiche all of a sudden. Um... Was it, are you a fan of quince as well? Uh, I've had quince paste on, like, you know... Um, yeah, it's not bad. You have it on a cracker. It's a bit fancy. With have you tried quince and cheese on a cracker? It's quite nice. No, oh, but I've got a quince and quiche yeah. plan for tomorrow night. Um, I'll have that. Um, but yeah, I've just I've just quickly looked up here. The uh, dressing room assistant, dressing room staffer, uh, is played oh. is played by Jan McCarthy, who's actually a casting director, and she's actually only yeah. appeared as an actress in eleven credits now. Uh, I don't think she's typecast at all because she's played uh, casting director in Lovely and Amazing. Uh, she's played dressing room staffer in White Men Can't Jump. She played girl at party in Driving Me Crazy. Happy Days Waitress Number One in Roadside Profits and Redheaded Waitress in Money for Nothing. So there you go. She's a casting director best known for Eternal Sunshines of the Spotless Mind, one of the most overrated pieces of shit in movie history. Um, can we not? Wait, she's not most well known for. I didn't. I said she didn't want to see you from White Man Can't Jump. Uh, she's more known for a casting director. She apparently won an Emmy for being a casting director. So there you go. Uh, but I love. <laughs> look at um, Alec Trebek's uh, filmography. Is acting. Is Alec Trebek? I'm trying to bring it up. Is, is he typecast? Let's go through here. Uh, as himself, the host of Jeopardy. As himself, the host of Jeopardy. As himself, the host of Jeopardy. The only one here that I can see he's not playing as himself, the host of Jeopardy. On the Larry Sanders show, he was Minister Who Marries Hank Kinsley. Uh, in Rugrats, he played Alan Quebec, the host of Super Stumpers. And in the <laughs> X-Files, he played Man in Black, who Agent Mulder thought looked incredibly like Alex Trebek. <laughs> 
Uh, but he, he was actually in How I Met Your Mother, where he, I mean, he played himself, and it was kind of just like a joke. I think that was when uh, like Barney used to bag out Robin for being Canadian, um, and then she would always bring up Alex Trebek. I think he, like Alex Trebek was um, some long distant relative of Robin in How I Met Your Mother. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, all I, of us Canadians are long distance relatives with Alex Trebek. Who doesn't? I, don't, I know nothing of Alex Trebek except he's a coast of Jeopardy. Like any Australian would have no fucking idea who Alex Trebek is, but I love him. He seems like a nice guy. Um, you know, not as nice as Justin Trudeau's ass, but <laughs> the nicest looking thing to come from Canada, except for Justin Trudeau's ass. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the, the song sweet. Like I, you can't not like that. That's just like a real little, ah moment. And this is where, again, it's like going back to what I was saying about how the, the hustle scene should be the climax. I think this should be, ah, they're back together now. Ah. You know, this is a perfect way to end their sort of, like, relationship, as in begin their relationship again. But, um, nope. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be how it uh, happens. But uh, I just want to point out, and I'm sort of jumping ahead here to the hotel scene, but one little weird mistake I noticed is, like, when they cut to these two obviously having sex and their feet are, like, hanging out the window, notice when they go back into the hotel room later that the head of the bed is at the window. So they're having sex uh, the other way around from this bed. That's a weird thing I noticed. Uh, so, so, Colin, just to let you know, sex is when a man and a woman love each other. Uh, <laughs> ask Jamie about it. She might know. It's not just staring at nipples, you mean? No, not at all. There's other things you can do, like uh, put your mouth where the money is. <laughs> and speaking of uh, Finding Br- Forrester, um, Alex Trebek is in Finding Forrester. Oh, no. And Cheers. And Charlie's Angels. <laughs> Uh, I just want to say, you mentioned the Larry Sanders show there. I love the Larry Sanders show. Uh, that's what I'd like to cover on here. We're just building the list. I like but- the nanny, and he was on the nanny. <laughs> 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 oh, please not again. Um, Download double So <laughs> this is kind of the setup to the climax here, and I guess this scene is an extension of the last one, is they're, they've just had sex and they're in bed together. Um, I do find it weird that she got her cash so quickly, like, we're meant to believe they came here right after the game show, and she not only has the money, not in a bank account, she has all of the cash, $14,000 apparently, in her hand. Uh, like, they just gave it to her walking out of there. I mean, this is not a Wesley Snipes reference. It's a reference to something else. But the first thing I wrote in my notes here is make sure to pay your game show tax. Other people have gotten in trouble that way. Um, not Wesley Snipes, but Richard Hatt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she starts talking about job interviews, and this is really the first time it's brought up. It's like, Billy doesn't have a job. He doesn't have any skills, for one thing. And even the way he responds is like, job interviews? <laughs> it, it, there are moments in this movie where he comes across like an 11-year-old. And, you know, it just reminds me of, like, my 11-year-old nephews. And, you know, I can't get a job. I'm only 11. They're, they're <laughs> the dumb how... ones that don't like the Spider-Man ones, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so he says he's nervous about taking the money because he's screwed up so many times. Um, but he ends up taking it because she's like, you know, get yourself some clothes, get yourself a decent job. Now that she's bringing all this money, you know, you, she's mooched off you long enough. Why is she saying get a decent job? Bitch, please. Your only job was winning money on a TV show, you disco queen. <laughs> and this, <yeah. laughs> what if at this point he starts saying to her, it's like, you know what? It's like, uh, I'm going to live off of your money for a while exactly. and I'm going to trade for whatever. Whatever that Australian show, as you said, that was Sail so good. Sail of the Century. Yeah. Sail, Sail of, the Cent- of the Century. Look it up. It's a fantastic <laughs> show. Glenn Ridge. Oh, what a star he was. 
but <laughs> no idea. Glenn Reed's no the Australian Alex no Trebek. There's <laughs> no Alex Trebek. Sorry, uh, but uh, after the Sydney's broken into, and this is where it, it's funny because this is the only moment where you realize Sydney has a story, and it's this late in the movie. We are into the climax, and Sydney has his own story here, other than just his wife wants to move. Uh, his house is broken into, and they stole the crib. You know, what kind of person would steal a baby's crib? I love his wife. This is probably the one really great moment she has in the movie, just the rant. And another woman thing to do, you know, just go on rants about people, and you're like, okay, just come inside. Everybody can see you, you know? Uh, nobody notices, and she wants to get out of the apartment. The $5,000 is gone. Uh, she says, I want to get a job. He finally says, you can work, woman. <laughs> now yeah. let me go and gamble <laughs> some more. <laughs> Meanwhile, our son is just ignored again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where does the baby go? Like, she just has it, and then the baby's gone. You're right. Um, but there's some problems here. I guess we don't know the full scale of what the bet is in this climax here, but he says he's going to figure out how to get them out of there. Uh, he finds Billy on the street. There's a quick moment where Gloria's talking about, you know, once I win, you know, all five of these, and then I come back and I win the Tournament of Champions, you know, I could come away with this with, like, $80,000. Um, and Sydney runs up and, you know, he says, I need to talk to him. It's a guy thing. And she's like, oh, what is this, a macho dick thing? Can I watch? <laughs> yeah, Gloria's secretly uh, into gay porn, as we're discovering. Uh, see, gay porn, Colin, is when two men have sex and people okay, film yes. it. Yes, yes. Porn is when people uh, film people having sex. <laughs> You probably would have to explain that to me. I've never seen <laughs> Jamie, God, can you hear this right now? Well, I'm married. What do I need porn for? I was in a relationship for eight years. I bought more porn. <laughs> Is that what the relationship ended? I'm not commenting on that. <laughs> Still in rehab. Uh, <laughs> but... Um... This, the whole setup here, just before I get into what it is, I'm, uh, this is where I realized that, and it's only this past time, like, who's the hero of this movie? And I, I only started to think about this when you have the two leads, and which would be the one that would typically be the hero of the movie? It would be the one that's introduced first, the one that you follow more throughout the movie, the one who has more of their own personal story. That's all Billy up until this point. But we've sort of talked about it. Like, there's nothing about Billy's character that says he is a hero or that he's even that much of a good person. You know, with Sydney, the goal he has in this movie is to get a better place to live for him and his family, um, to be able to provide for his family without having to gamble. And he doesn't blow it. I mean, he makes the right decisions and he's a victim in this movie uh, of losing it because somebody victimized him. Billy screws up everything, loses all of their money twice through his own stupidity, three times if you count the Stucky or Stucci brothers. <laughs> And, you know, everything that he does throughout this movie is wrong. So it's like, even though Billy's probably a little bit more the lead character in this, Sydney is kind of the hero of the story. Uh, and he's also the one who you know, this entire climax is really revolving around. This is why the relationship thing, as you said, is so important here. Because otherwise, what does Billy actually have? You know, you're not going to suddenly make him a great character. Uh, but the premise is that the king and duck are in these are the original guys they mentioned you know, billy mentioned the beginning of the movie sydney mentioned them again when they did the first white boy con even though the king or duck are not white so i gotta wonder what the comparison is there but they're in town it's going to cost twenty five hundred dollars to play a game against them but i don't did they even say what they could get if they win 
no, I, I get. I'm glad you're explaining this to me now because I'm so confused at how this is ending. So yeah, you're explaining more here right now, and I understand okay. listening to you than what I was actually watching this. <laughs> so Sydney has probably five hundred dollars because he says it's twenty five hundred dollars to get in, and Billy says I got two grand, and he's all excited before he realizes, oh, but then I have to gamble this, and Gloria's gonna be mad at me. Um, they walk away with this with at least seven thousand dollars. I'll get to that in a minute, but. There must be like a, if you beat them, you get four times, five times, whatever yeah. you put in. Who knows? Uh, they never set that up, though. But it's not really about the money, I guess, at this point, uh, other than Sydney, who <laughs> lost everything. Uh, Billy says, you know, I owe him and I owe you. I promised him and I promised you. She says to him, if you gamble my money, we're through. And this is the smartest moment of the movie that I never picked up on, again, because I watch it still as like an 11-year-old kid sometimes. And, it's, and I've always misinterpreted it when... She says, you gamble my money and we're through. And she's very real in that scene. I love her performance there. But Billy says, I'll do something I've never done before. I will guarantee you a victory. I've never guaranteed a victory before. I will guarantee you that we will win this. And he looks to Sydney, And Sydney has this look on his face like of doubt. And he goes, yeah, okay. And I always interpreted that as if Sydney was doubting that they could win this. But in the next scene, you realize... No, he realizes at this point Gloria is gone because he's the smart married guy here. And I just I love that moment. It's taken me a long time to figure out that's really what his expression was. There was he's saying, "All right, Billy, you just lost her," but he's playing along with this still because he needs the money. You know, he's he's not playing Billy, but they go to the game. The king and duck are old. Um, <laughs> I don't were these guys real basketball players too. I didn't have time to to look at. I think one of them was for sure, if not both. That one of them was what? Say that again. Like real NBA players or basketball um, players? I don't know. Uh, what? Where? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I didn't look those two up to be honest. So, yeah. Okay. So um, Freeman, uh, Freeman Williams, Williams played. Dark and Louis Price played. And he was a guard for the San Diego Clippers from '78 to '82, Utah Jazz '82 wow. to '83, and Washington Bullets '85. Who's the fuck um, Miami Tropics? <laughs> oh, I was in the ABA. Oh, okay, no one gives a shit about the ABA. Never mind. <laughs> And the Tampa Bay Thrillers? I mean, what the <laughs> fuck is that? <laughs> We're the Thrillers! <laughs> so one of them had a little bit of success. Even but, fucking uh, Florida sports teams. Let's not get started on that. Florida. They're kind of like the French. Well, yeah. I, I want to find the music from this last scene. I think it's just an instrumental, but I love the music that plays here in the final game. And just like the other ones, the game itself is not... You're not really following, oh, they're up... You know, three to one. Oh no, no, now they're down six to five. It's just sort of back and forth, and you see them miss some, you see them make some. It's really it's done in slow mo, which is kind of cool. And Ron Shelton apparently filmed this both ways, and he he wanted to keep the slow mo one just because he thought it was more effective. Here, it is very 1992, especially when people are talking at you know regular speed, and it, the video is playing in slow mo. But uh, it all climaxes, of course, as you know, uh, Sydney puts up a shot. High in the air, Billy jumps and he dunks. Uh, so white men can jump. Of course, that was going to be the climax of the movie. And it's appropriate because that's the only thing that Billy really has here because this is all about Sydney at this point. Uh, just a quick note on him making that shot is that um, there were a lot of bets, as I said, on set. And at the time they filmed, everybody kind of agreed that Woody Harrelson was the better basketball player than Wesley Snipes. And he had made this bet with uh, Woody Harrelson that he couldn't actually dunk. And Woody was trying over and over again on set and, you know, kept missing. And at one point he actually brought one of the, um, uh, I don't know if it was a makeup artist or somebody in on this joke who said to Woody Harrelson, you know, you should really go stretch in your trailer first. And if you stretch 
I guarantee you'll get an extra four or five inches on your jump. And that's how Woody Harrelson said he was introduced to yoga. He said, okay, I'll try it. He went back to his trailer, he stretched, and while he did that, Wesley Snipes lowered the rim several inches. And Woody jumps up and he makes the shot. And up until 2017, when these interviews are done, you can read the interviews online. I don't know if there's a video form where Woody's telling the story and saying, I made that shot and I was the better player. And then Wesley Snipes and everybody else tells this story about how they lowered it for him and led him to believe that yoga somehow gave him an extra four or five <laughs> inches on his jump shot. Um, it's just hilarious that they played him and it, it took 25 years and he probably still doesn't even know this unless he read that. Um, but uh, I do have to wonder how they split the winnings here because we find out in the next scene that Billy has at least the $7,000 to pay off, pay off the Stuckey brothers. Um uh, you figure Sydney's going to need these five thousand. So what if they walk away from this with twelve thousand, and they went into a twenty five hundred? I don't even know how Sydney gets five thousand. It's just, it's never explained. It's all up in the air. But it's not really what it's about. I'll, I'll leave the last scene for its own thing. But let's just talk about the, uh, um, the final scenes here of uh, him making the promise to Gloria, and then the the game with uh, King and Farouk and uh, Duck Johnson. I just want to add that I also was once led to believe that doing yoga could add an extra few inches, but it doesn't work. So, <laughs> um, not basketball, right? Thought I would share that. See, Colin, inches are in reference to. <laughs> um, yeah, I like I. This is kind of my issues. You're probably going to hate me for just ripping into your favourite movie of all time, basically. You did have a Titanic with me for five hours, so deal with it. Um, like, we get here that he takes the two grand off Gloria, and for some reason she's all like, oh, maybe I could give you some of my money, you know, so you could get started. Again, it's like, you have been mooching off his money. Like, okay, he's doing yeah. it unconventionally <laughs> by gambling, but at the same time, he's generally successful and the only time he hasn't been successful is because he got uh played himself and then okay he yeah. tried to gamble it away by proving that he can dunk which he couldn't so it's like why are you so skeptical about this it's like you owe him money <laughs> it's like <laughs> first of all there's that that annoys me um but like this whole bit here about like sydney getting um robbed it's just i don't know i don't yeah. i don't think you need that i think it should be about you know, like, why does all of a sudden this straight guy who kind of has done so well and is the good guy this whole movie just has to get robbed? And again, we get no explanation over it. It's just like, he gets robbed? Cool. All right. Okay. That, it's, it's just, it, to me, it's just plotted on how, purely for him no, to have to get the money is, back. How else is Billy going to really need to help him? Why would, what else would put Billy in the predicament where he's like, I need to help this guy even though I'm risking losing this girl. What am I going to do for this guy? I think it's it should you know? be a case of it. Billy still just, again, it's just the trope of him losing money again. This is the final chance for him to finally win it all back. Like, I, I think it's kind of a case of... But, I, I oh. think the Stooky brothers should be tacked on here. It's like, oh, yeah, I've got 2,000, but I need seven. Oh, so we need to gamble. No. That's, that's, I mean, that's just... That's, that's how I think it should that's be. That's too Hollywood. That's I like that this is a little bit more realistic It here, just feels forced so- to me that they get robbed I, I don't know i just don't like it it's just random it's all of a sudden like oh guess what we got robbed like maybe one well, maybe this one is coming of- from a man who grew up on the rich streets of hobart yeah, exactly. so you wouldn't understand the plight of people in the rich ghetto streets of hobart i've never quite <laughs> 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 described like that where the city where everything's paved in gold <laughs> <laughs> the elite of australia moved to hobart 
Um, but like, I don't know, maybe like one of, um, Sydney's crew has been hustling him the whole time. And I, I, I don't know. It's just, then it's just three hours long, like Titanic. Well, I mean, you know, this is a one hour and 50 minute movie and we're approaching the three hour mark. So I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> but look, just a, just a slight criticism. I'm sorry. Um, but then it's kind of like, again, how Gloria has to leave and it's just like, oh, okay. So all of that was for nothing. Them getting back together and boning. It's like, oh no. Just kidding. She's leaving again. I mean, what happened? Does she go on to the Tournament of Champions? I mean, does she ha- hang off with Alex Trebek and, like, hook up with him? Like, I, I don't know. Um, and it's funny you mentioned there about uh, Billy trying to be a hero or that sort of stuff. Are you familiar with the song, Billy Don't Be a Hero by Paper Lace? Or is that the song that you're not no. familiar with? Look it up. I remember my mum used to play it. And literally, like, the chorus is like, Billy, don't be a hero. Don't be a fool with your life. Like, legitimately, that is an actual song. It's a great song. I understand dry mouthedness. <laughs> Everybody right now, look up Billy Don't Be a Hero by Paper Lace. Great song. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, I, I was lost in this last scene. Like, I, I didn't even catch on that these were characters that had been mentioned before. Um, I mean, the only bit I got was like, yeah, he dunked. Woo! And then all of a sudden, it's like... Oh, he's got the money. Didn't they only just gamble this amount? And then it's kind of like these Stooky brothers, who I'm probably jumping ahead here, who are like, no, they're these evil gangsters who are happy to take the money and then pretend he's dead to keep up a reputation of being bad. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, and again, I like that too. It's a, it's unpredictable because the movie's all about swerves. You know, everybody's kind of playing their own con. It's a movie about con artists. Well, I'll talk about that in a second. But anything else to add on the final game before we go into that? No, because, I mean, again, I was sort of a bit lost in it. But, I mean, like, I'm glad that Woody Harrelson could dunk. I mean, you know, the movie's called White Men Can't Jump. So, I guess we needed the payoff. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, Titanic. We knew it was going to sink. I mean, that would be like, plot twist, it didn't sink. Um, so, like, plot twist, he doesn't dunk. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's well shot. I mean, it's from a basketball fan's perspective, it's great to watch. And I think one thing we haven't really said too much, I mean, you sort of mentioned it, that you don't really see these basketball scenes as that important. But, I mean, I guess it's they're all very well shot basketball scenes. And, uh, you know, comparing this to Space Jam, Eddie in the air up there, I mean, it's, you know, very well done. It's very believable, all the basketball scenes in this movie. So, yeah, nothing really to add. I've, I've had my complaints. Final scene of the movie, he shows up at the hotel, all happy that he won the money and Gloria's gone. Uh, how do we know that she just hasn't gone out and the maid just cleaned? I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. Gloria doesn't have that much luggage. <laughs> Um, that there's your ending. The movie ends, and all of a sudden, Gloria comes back. And says, Billy, what are you doing? I just went out to you know for for a roller skate here, <laughs> my 1992 roller skates. Uh, but he's kind of not understanding it. I I love just the difference between the I guess you'd call him a single guy and then the married guy here, where Sydney just sits down. He knows they didn't even have to walk in the room, and he knew that Gloria was gone, which is why that last scene was so great. Where, you know, he's saying, I'll guarantee victory. And he's like, Billy just doesn't get it. <laughs> he's He thinks that's what this is about. And Billy's actually saying, it's like, I don't understand. For once, I didn't screw up. I actually doubled the money. How can this be? This doesn't make any sense. And Sydney's already sitting down and relaxing as he always does, just like your friend. And he goes, Billy, I just have four words for you. Listen to the woman. <laughs> uh, words that I think everybody has heard or thought of themselves. Um, and he goes, I tried to Please. listen to the woman. You- <laughs> 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 That's tag reasons why Ben is single. 
Um, he goes, I tried to listen to the woman. You talked me out. I was like, well, I didn't have to talk very long. <laughs> and he says, so I'm supposed to listen to you now, but I wasn't supposed to listen to you then. It's like, well, I'm just trying to be helpful. <laughs> it's still fun, even just their back and forth banter here. But you kind of get, like, listen to the woman. Like, Sydney's happy that he did this, but he knows, like, Billy, you screwed this one up. Um, the Stuckey brothers come back. There's just a brief one here. This is what you said I don't like. I love that they show up and that in the end, you know, even though they give him the money, this is the one more thing we got to do, and it cuts that shot of him, and he's got the blood all over him, just like the pictures they had. And you're seeing they're just taking a picture because, as I said, the movie's about con artists, and there are people out there like this. You know, they, they don't actually go around killing people, but you present that persona, and people will take you more seriously. Would Billy have ever paid them off if he knew that those pictures were fake? Would he have paid them off if they never had pictures like that, you know? So I, I love that. They're, they're hustlers just like everybody else in this movie. Uh, final last scene with Billy and Sydney talking together. This is just where all the chemistry they have, like, they don't even have to be saying anything important. It's just him sort of saying, like, I need a job, you know, can you get me a job here? And he has to, like, you're starting to hear the music. Oh, I can hear Jimmy now? And he goes, no, no, I, I'm not talking about Jimmy. And he's like, what, Jimmy ain't music? He's like, no, Jimmy's music, but that's not what I'm saying. And then Billy goes on and says, your mama is so stupid that it takes her, no, I mean, it takes her 60 minutes to make, there's that minute rice one everybody knows, though. Um, and the, the, it kind of just trails off, but there's just a funny line that Sydney has right at the end there as Billy's trying to make the mama jokes, and he goes, Billy, stop hurting yourself. <laughs> um, it's it's the perfect, like, buddy comedy or buddy film ending here where, you know, he, re he realizes Gloria is not coming back. The movie was never about him and Gloria, and I love movies like this that do something different, you know, at the end. And uh, there, there's Cameron Crowe, who, of course, made Elizabeth Town, but also made much better movies like Jerry Maguire and Singles and Say Anything. Um, he always said about Say Anything that the ending of that movie where the, the two uh, lead characters do end up together, the whole ending is supposed to be like, the audience knows they're breaking up 10 minutes later, which is what happens in the majority of movies. And I like that a movie's going there and they're like, well, you know what? Sometimes things don't work out. And this movie, if anything, it's more about Billy reaching the point where he's not going to screw up. And he, if he just stops screwing up because Gloria is going to dump him, I don't think it means as much as that Gloria's dumped him. He knows she's not coming back. He's like, I need to take my life seriously now. Can you help me? Can you be my big brother, Sydney? I think it's a great ending. Um, you know, we, we get a shot that's duplicated in their next movie, Money Train, which we'll talk about uh, very briefly on the end here. But all around, I, I love the whole ending here and the last swerve we get from the Stooky Brothers. But you already kind of commented on that. But anything else to add? Not a whole lot. I mean, I've literally written here in my notes that uh, going back to what I said about where they were having sex before in the hotel room, I've written they have sex weird, um, that they <laughs> sex on the other side of the bed. Um, yeah, i got nothing really much to add. I mean, I sort of said about the Stooky Brothers, I just... Yeah, but I mean, I do like the ending. I like kind of just a little banter back and forth. And I, and I will say, I, I also like movies that kind of end differently that, you know, don't go in the way you're planning. So I guess it's kind of weird for me to criticise the fact that it's kind of, you know, they're back together, then they're not. But it's just, I don't know. It's just, I guess there's two parts in this whole film where I'm like, oh, okay, well, clearly it's going to end at the tournament. No, okay, right, okay. Well, clearly it's going to end about him trying to win Gloria back. Oh, okay, no, right, there we go. So it's just kind of like there's two in this film that's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, which I mean, yeah, again, I, I wasn't a, as big a fan as the third act of this film as I was the first two parts of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's, I like the ending. I like the credits because I love the song. White man can't jump. It's the one thing I knew yeah. coming into this. Um, so yeah, I have, I'm a stooky brother right now. I'm just, uh, <laughs> pretending to, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
uh, I guess quickly talk about this, like this movie came out, it wasn't really anything that there was a lot of hype behind, but it is a movie that stuck around week after week. You know, it ended up as one of the highest grossing, just outside the top 10 highest grossing films of the year. For R-rated movies, it was probably one of the top grossing R-rated films that year. Spawned a video game, White Man Can't Jump, which I wish one I could One of apparently played. the never... worst video games of all time, according to what I was reading. I've never played it either. Yeah. But... <laughs> Um, two soundtracks to this movie. There's the main one, and then there's the second one uh, soundtrack to this movie. Um, oh, what else? The, the, mostly launching the careers. I mean, Ron Shelton had made Bull Durham, which Bull Durham was probably just as big, if not bigger, of a movie than this. But I think this movie was definitely more for the time period. It was definitely a very hip movie at the time that a lot of people got. Uh, he'd go on to do tons of sports movies. Cobb, you know, the Ty Cobb story that he made following this uh, with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, Tin Cup, another sports movie with Kevin Costner I mentioned. Play to the Bone, the main one I want to mention. But before I get to Play to the Bone, Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson just showing how big this movie was and their chemistry together at the time. Three years later, they reunited for a movie Money Train, which I went to go see just because it was Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. Have you ever seen Money Train? I have never seen Money Train. Oh, it's a fun movie. It's an underrated movie. It is the most 1995 action movie you will ever see. But... It's still a fun movie, and their characters are kind of similar. They're, they're two cops who work in, like, they're subway cops, you know? <laughs> and they come up with a plan, you know, as good guys who want to do this con, and they want to rob the train that transports all the money, the money train. And taking a Woody's Pelham 123, essentially. <laughs> yeah, except, you know, Woody, they're cops. They're the good guys doing it. Woody's the screw-up still. Wesley's kind of the more level-headed one. It's the movie that introduced Jennifer oh, Lopez to it's, movies. It's cool. I've just actually looked at it here. Uh, third Watch Connection's got Skip Sutter in it. It's Sully in Third Watch, so maybe I do need to see this movie. Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson, Jennifer Lopez's film debut, and you're like, Skip Sutter. Well, Skip, like, <laughs> can I just point out, we are very close to getting Skip Sutter on this show, Colin Hilding, so if we get oh, him on the show, you're going to be like, holy crap, you got someone money from Money Train, train on the show. So. Yes. Uh, even though Money Train, I mean, it's not... White Man Can't Jump. I mean, Ron Shelton had no involvement in it. it. It still does. There are moments in this movie where it's still kind of the trash talk between them. Like, they kind of play adopted brothers that grew up together. And the final shot or final moment of Money Train is identical to the final moment of White Man Can't Jump. So even three years later, I mean, this movie still had a lasting impression. Um, six years or seven years after this, uh, maybe eight years, it looks like, actually, Ron Shelton made a boxing movie, which was critically panned and completely flopped at the box office called Play It to the Bone, which... I saw opening weekend just because I knew it was the guy that made White Man Can't Jump, and it was Woody Harrelson versus Antonio Medeiros, his two best friends who are kind of these washed-up boxers that get a shot at each other. It's a really good movie. Like, I love the movie. Um, Wesley Sipes does have a cameo in the movie, but I honestly believe that Ron Shelton wrote this to be Wesley Sipes and Woody Harrelson again. And it would have made it, I think, a better movie with Wesley Snipes and Antonio Banderas. But still a good movie to check out. And then Ron Shelton gave up on sports, apparently, after a decade and a half of doing it and did uh, Hollywood Homicide, as you mentioned. But uh, <laughs> launched his career, launched briefly Rosie Perez. I'm not you know, knocking Rosie Perez, but like she was a huge deal for a few years and then kind of disappeared. Um, Woody, Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes, we mentioned at the beginning. Uh, the movie, I think, still does have a bit of a lasting legacy. You know, As we said, it's sort of forgotten but second highest grossing basketball film of all time still to this day and just the fact kind of started this episode off by mentioning that you know 25th anniversary came out and i thought i was the only one noticing the 25th anniversary but all of a sudden there's all this new stuff online including 
who knew this? Stanley Kubrick, maybe one of the most respected directors of all time, uh, director of 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Shining, um, Full Metal Jacket, uh, Spartacus, Dr. Strangelove. He listed this as one of his top five favorite films of all time, which is crazy for a guy like Stanley Kubrick to be like, I love White Man Can't Jump. Um, but yeah, I think that the movie holds up. Um, any parting comments before we get into the reviews here? Uh, the lasting legacy of the soundtrack, if you want to talk about that? I, look, I love the, mu- the music, as I was saying before. I mean, uh, I have this real um, nostalgic fandom of early 90s music in general. I often say that early 90s dance music is probably my favorite genre outside of my other favorite genres. I don't know. I just, I love early 90s music um and yeah i i really like it just the thing that i will say about this film that i loved and it's through the music and just everything it's just as soon as you watch it you just feel like it's a 90s movie like really 90s vibe to it and it's just it's great i mean you and i grew up in the 90s uh so you know we're always going to feel very nostalgic about lots of things to do with it so yeah i mean again i was five years old when this movie came out but still it's just yeah i i like that real vibe of it i don't really have much to add you've kind of added a whole lot of bits there uh i mean my random favorite love of wesley snipes film that i like uh and you mentioned tommy lee jones and it's the sequel to the fugitive i actually really like u.s marshals i don't know if you've seen that or a fan of it i've seen it yeah i'm not that i mean i'm a huge wesley snipes fan it's probably one of my less or least favorite wesley snipes action movies but i mean he's still wesley snipes you know it's still tommy lee jones it's just it's just it's an interesting i I often forget people realize that there is a sequel to the fugitive (laughs) um but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i've I've got nothing really more to add i think you covered it all quite well uh i'm just looking forward to you know when we do our brendan fraser month and toby Maguire month and fucking billy zane month um (laughs) you know we're gonna add wesley snipes month (laughs) Oh, I would love that. Because honestly, I mean, I, I said at the beginning of the episode, but I came out of this just like worshipping both of these guys and I saw all their movies. And just like as an 11-year-old, I don't know why White Man Can't Jump is something I should have been watching. I don't know why at the age of like 12, Disclosure was something that I should have been watching. Uh, or not Disclosure, Disclosure is the, I'm thinking of the Demi, he was in a movie with Demi, Indecent Proposal. I keep confusing the other movie she made. But yeah, Indecent Proposal where, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that one where a guy says, I'll pay a million dollars to sleep with your wife. That's why I'm Uh, single. That's what happened to me. Yeah. (laughs) That's the Frenchman. Okay. Um, But, uh, no, I mean, I think that the movie, we mentioned even just this past year, they they announced they're making the sequel. Um, It's, I guess, the writer of the TV show Blackish that's doing the new White Man Can't Jump. And uh, I don't follow uh, basketball. You kind of mentioned in the beginning, like, whether or not I'm even a basketball fan. To be perfectly honest, I can probably count on one hand the amount of basketball games I've watched in the last, like, 15 years. You're uh, a Leafs fan? I you lo- can't follow the Raptors? I mean, come on. We know which no. team's going to have the most success in the last next five years. <laughs> probably the Leafs, because the Raptors choke every time they get to the finals. Anyway. <laughs> but it is a weird thing, and it's not even White Men Can't Jump. I think it was probably the year before this movie came out. I went to, like, a basketball camp one summer. <laughs> uh, not, like, you, not staying overnight, but... <laughs> It's like one of those day programs. I can't you know, imagine for you in one of them. <laughs> yeah, but it's like a day program for kids. Like go and play basketball for the day, and they had like a pro player there with us one day and all that. But I love playing basketball, and it's still if I have a choice of any sport to play, it's not hockey because I can't skate. But even street hockey, it's not my choice. I mean, my choice to play any sport is always basketball. Um, I have a friend who does it, that. He hates soccer, but he likes playing soccer. I like. Yeah, I don't get that's kind of me. I. I I can't really watch a full basketball game, but I'll play it all day. Um, but I guess 
the remake has an NBA uh, star named Blake Griffin that they're looking to get, and then an NFL player Ryan Khalil. So um, never heard of Ryan Khalil. I'm, Blake Griffin, yeah, he's a big deal. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, look, I can you and I not come up with better actors than this? Like, I mean, yeah. why, why do we like the thing that's interesting? Like, I, I don't know if Blake Griffin has ever acted before. I mean, something you can say about LeBron James in the cameos and that that he's like LeBron James can actually kind of act. Um, you know, Michael Jordan had his moments. Um, but like, <laughs> I guess it's kind of interesting, like, to see, like, why do we need, like, Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes were not professional athletes. They were actors. So surely, like, can we not think of, like, I mean, Kevin Hart, you'd almost, but he's a bit too comedic, would you not say, for the... He's probably way too funny, And he's yeah. kind of overused now anyway, isn't he? Uh, I mean, one yeah. of the like, Wayan brothers, maybe? I mean, they don't do much anymore, do they? Um... Oh, I mean, even if you're looking at like the white man role, I mean, who do you cast for this? Because David Schwimmer. There are guys. There are guys like. Well, <laughs> I don't know why that came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what are they going to do? Put Ryan Gosling in there? Uh, like, <laughs> I can't see it working. And yet, at the same time, if you were to have said the names Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson in 1991, nobody would have said, "Yeah, I see them as street basketball players." And I mean, look, your go-to would be you like Kevin Hart, Will Ferrell. But I mean, then you just got overly comedic. You know, you lose yeah. that. Um, the hustler the aspect. Draft. Yeah, and like, I mean, I'm not saying that that wouldn't be a fun movie with those two. No, I'm sure they've probably been in 100 movies together because I, I like both of them. But again, you need to, like, going back to your whole element about this being like a, a hustler movie, um, you, you need comedic but dramatic at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah, like, you got to think of your black and your white actor there in terms of who would cover that. So, um Look, Blake Griffin could be the best actor in the world. <laughs> um, Is Bo Jackson still available? <laughs> Wayne Gretzky and Michael Jordan could do this. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Wayne Gretzky act in The Mighty Ducks 2, and <laughs> it wasn't that good. So, uh, We woke up the See, baby. Casper is sad that uh, Wayne Gretzky cannot be <laughs> in um, the remake. He's like, give me 20 years, I'll be Billy Hoyle. <laughs> Sorry, Casper. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think it's even possible to cast someone like this and have it be the same. But I'm really interested to hear where your review is going to be. Although I have a good prediction of what it's going to be. It's obvious for me. I said from the beginning, this is like one of my top five favorite films of all time. I'm buying this like instantly. Um, as a not 11 year old boy talking about this 25 years later, uh, where do you weigh out on this one? Um, yeah, I'm renting it. Uh, I think that for the most part, it's, it's an enjoyable film. And as I said, it's kind of the end kind of steers me away from it. But I mean, it's definitely a film that I could watch again. I mean, it's not, it's not binnable material by far. Um, I'd say it's a medium to high rent. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I'd go out of my way to buy it. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I would much prefer to watch Eddie, uh, the air up there and space oh. jam when it comes to basketball <laughs> movies. But again, your argument being it's not necessarily an entire basketball movie, which I guess is fair enough. But, um, yeah, I I honestly get a lot more enjoyment out of uh, yeah those three films that I said. But yeah, again, like I didn't dislike this movie. It it definitely had its moments. And Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson just carry this movie. It's fantastic. Um, you know, I love Ro- uh, yeah Rosie Perez. Is it Rosie Perez? Am I what? Am I yeah? yeah. Why did I just go blank and thinking that wasn't a name? Um, <laughs> so Jennifer Lopez, yeah, <laughs> Skip Sardis. Um <laughs> Yeah, definitely look up Skip Sardis and you tell me he played the role of Gloria. No. Uh, 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a film that for sure uh, I enjoyed, but uh, I guess not as much as you did, clearly. But I enjoyed it more than you enjoyed Titanic, so. Yeah. And there's good reason why, because it's a better movie. Uh, there we go. We have a buy it and a rent it. Uh, ben, you want to tease what we're talking about next week? We've already announced what all these are, but w- what are we going to be covering in week oh, three of anniversary? Lordy, lordy, lordy. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> can we just do face off? Um, <laughs> this is real now that we have to go back to the uh, very year that I was born um, to watch a movie that I've never seen. Uh, <laughs> Dirty Dancing. Again, you, you said like, oh, I've got a wife. Of course I've seen this movie. Again, going back to my eight-year relationship, Louise would never have watched Dirty Dancing. She would have seen the word <laughs> dirty and, ew, that's probably rude. Um, she's, she's like the you <laughs> of that relationship. Um, yeah, so look, I, I'm very intrigued because, again, it's one of these movies that everybody knows all about and... Um, it's kind of obviously the infamous or well, famous, you know, time of my life song. And of course, uh, nobody puts baby in the corner. Besides that, I don't really know a whole lot, except apparently I always, always wonder why the hell Patrick Swayze was a sex symbol. Because to me, like, yeah. I don't dislike Patrick Swayze and rest in peace. Shall he remain in our memories forever? But like, I would always look at him and just think of him as a real dad type person. And like, you know, you know how you have these people who like, always look young. Like, Keanu Reeves has not aged a day since Bill and Ted. Mm. Like, I think Patrick Swayze is the opposite. I think he looked really old when he was young. And I'm like... I agree, yeah. I'm always thinking, like, to myself, like, how is he ever considered, like, well, the women just go gaga over him. Like, really? He looks like your dad. And it's like, it's like yeah. R- Richard and Gere's he- another one of those people. I'm like, really? Richard Gere? <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, he did that movie father where he played what was it macaulay culkin's father or something yeah maybe that's what it but it's also like um i don't think i've ever seen anything else with jennifer gray in it besides ferris bueller's day off so yeah. um, <laughs> and i think this was pre-nose job jennifer gray wasn't it when she like completely altered her appearance yeah. and no one could and like no one knew it was her anymore and like fucking genie is one of my favorite characters in ferris bueller's day off uh, just the scene with her and Charlie Sheen. He's just, oh, I fucking love it. God, can we do Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Um, oh. But yeah, so I'm, I'm, look, I'm slightly in a weird way excited to see it because it's kind of like one of these movies that you just hear so much about you've never seen. Like, I've never seen Grease. That people always are like, what? You've never seen Grease? So like, you know, it's kind of, you've got an expectation of what a movie's going to be. So um yeah, I, I'm weirdly looking forward to seeing this and going to work out whether or not this is going to be one that where you and I are just going to finally have a movie where we just absolutely tear shreds on, because we haven't really had that except for, what, Kill Feel Volume 2. Um, yeah. <laughs> even though I bought it. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm weirdly <laughs> looking forward to seeing this. Um, I'm not really looking forward that much to it. I also did say I don't hate this movie. Uh, it's kind of a weird thing... I saw this as a kid, and it's one of these things like your your sister watches this movie all the time, and she, I mean, she had like both found soundtracks to Dirty Dancing, and maybe more than anything, the the songs. I just got so sick of them that it's hard to watch the movie because half of this movie really is just musical montages. So I don't think it's going to take us three hours to get through Dirty Dancing. Sorry to say. Well, we thought that with this but, movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, no, I mean, I do remember one point when I was, I think, 18 and watched it on my own for the first time because there was nothing on TV. It was like a long weekend and nothing was on TV and Dirty Dancing is on. I was like, ah, oh, let me watch it, see if it's going to And that one time I watched it, I'm like, this is actually a pretty good movie. But every time I've seen it since then, I'm like, ah, oh, 
what was I seeing in it that one time? Was I just <laughs> really, really bored that day? Who knows? But it's not a terrible movie. It's just it is very much like your wife's movie. It's got or Wayne your, your Knight sister. in it. It's got Dennis Nedry in it. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, a Jerry Orbach in it. <laughs> I just, I'm just looking this up. Like, need to see this movie. I want to see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to cover because I think so much of this movie is the soundtrack that maybe a lot of people just look at it with rose-colored glasses like it's such a great movie and there's not that much to it. And I'm going to make so many people hate me because they made a 30th anniversary remake that aired on TV this past year, which I don't know if you saw oh, I heard that about one. it. Yeah, it's kind of like well, they did yeah. that Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I just did not want to go near yeah. it because how can you do such a thing to a great film? I mean, with this one, I went near it because it had Abigail Breslin in it. I love oh, Abigail Breslin. I, I actually do like her, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I spent the entire movie talking about, oh, this movie's so great. Abigail Breslin's so great, and Jamie just hated it. This movie's terrible compared to the original. And all I heard for days was every woman who saw the original saying that remake was terrible. I'm like, yeah, but at least it had Abigail Breslin in it. Come on. Well, I mean, uh, but- Natalie Portman connection, of course, to Dirty Dancing, when they made the sequel Havana Nights, she was uh, cast in Havana Nights, but she rightfully pulled out of it too, because apparently that was even worse. <laughs> I-, I saw the sequel, and I actually preferred it to the first Dirty oh, Dancing. Wow. So that kind of gives you an idea where I might be coming. We're losing to all our female I- listeners after this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where my feelings are going to be on this movie, because there have been times I've watched it where like, that's a pretty good movie. And then other times where I'm like, this is such a girl's movie. What am I doing? So, yeah, we it'll be fun to cover. girl movies that we like. I mean, Titanic, hello. But uh... oh, for me, I mean, I'll, I'll be brutally honest. 13 going on 30, I've seen probably about 30 times. That's, that's, <laughs> so, um, so that's called Suddenly 30 in Australia. That's one of those weird movies that's like oh, called it's differently. Real? Like, um, I mean, yeah, I've actually got a, uh, no surprise. I've got a lot that I actually don't mind. Like, I love Love Actually. Uh, I love Notting yeah, Hill. Well, uh, the Bridget Jones. I'm not going to list them all. Uh, but like Abigail Breslin, that's a weird little thing that we've had. A, like, I hated her when she was little. <laughs> but then when like as soon as like Little Miss Sunshine, like okay, she's kind of quirky. But then uh, what turned me around on her was Scream Queens. I Scream Queens. Oh yeah. my god, I love her so much. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's gonna be, you know, it's one of these, like, as you were saying, like, no more for the soundtrack. And I think I compared it in Titanic, didn't I, about how, you know, uh, what Flashdance and Footloose are kind of known that. I mean, I've seen half of Footloose. And I mean, you know, I mean, it's Kevin Bacon, of course, you're gonna love it no matter what. But I mean, the half I saw and just the plot line of it, you know, like, I mean, if the plot line of Dirty Dancing is anything like with Footloose, like, they live in a town where dancing is banned. <laughs> what? <laughs> How is that a thing? Similar. Who does that? What is this? They live in a town where dirty dancing is banned. <laughs> <laughs> so they've got the underground scene of teenagers dancing dirty with each other. Like, don't we love the 80s, the decade where the most stupid plot lines worked? Yeah. And everybody looked back on the 50s as if it was the stiffest time in the history of the universe. But, I mean, this is, you know, early 90s when we got pro stars. And, again, you know, what a, what a pro stars. innocent time where things worked when they shouldn't have. And now we're living in a time where everything is a dark and gritty remake. We know that the remake of White Man Can't Jump is going to be like a kid addicted to drugs. is coming off the street and needs to save his <laughs> single mother family with, you know, like it's going to be so dark and gritty. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, let's hope not. But yeah, following that, we're going to have Face Off, 
Uh, oh. I have no idea when this episode's airing, but there's other stuff going on. I think Survivor started by now, hasn't it been? Uh, How did you like that first Survivor 39 at the moment. It's going for so long than we thought we would. Um, yeah. yeah, Australian Survivor is getting to the pointy end where we're still doing our exit interviews and recaps, and we're also doing our bonus sort of roundtable episodes of that as we get towards the end. And, uh, yeah, you were Survivors now, obviously, uh, about a week and a bit away. And uh, by the time of recording this, we should say. I mean, people will probably watch the first episode already. Well, no, I, I think by the time we release this, we're less than a week away now. But judging on my top oh, of my head, and uh, our preview episode for what is it? Heroes, hookers, and hipsters. Fucking, I don't know. <laughs> That's a better title than what it's actually called. Um, we'll be doing that uh, with uh, hashtag Bring Back Billy. So, uh, <laughs> Billy, yeah. don't be a hero. <laughs> there we go. Billy Garcia can play the role of Billy in the White Man Can't Jump remake. <laughs> uh, lots of episodes coming, so continue to listen to us and. Um, Send us your suggestions for anything you want us to cover in the future, because we will do it. If you give us a suggestion, as long as it's not the dumbest suggestion ever. We're not uh, doing we Twilight. Do <laughs> no, not Twilight. A million likes on our it. Facebook page, people. We've told you. We get to a million likes, we will do Twilight. Yeah. If we get to 5,000 likes, we will do Abigail Breslin Month. Um, We're so... only about 300 away. So... <laughs> <laughs> if we get there 10 ratings... On iTunes, we will do Natalie Portman month. <laughs> no! Yes! If you get 10 ratings, I quit this show. <laughs> I'll just do Natalie Portman by myself. And Natalie Portman month by myself. <laughs> uh, let's wrap this up. It's gone on way longer than it should have. This, this will um, be much shorter than Titanic. <laughs> Uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and then unsubscribe when Natalie Portman month comes up. Uh, <laughs> my name is Colin and my mother was too drunk to be an astronaut. And my name is Ben. This entire episode has been like pollution to my ears. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.